Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we'll be revisiting days gone by with a return to some Areo and Taxes brews. Many of the new artifacts introduced in MH2 have breathed new life into artifact brews, but do they have what it takes to compete in a new modern meta? Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Serious Visions. Welcome to episode 22 of the Serum Visions podcast, coming to you after a long rest, fully recharged with access to all of my spells, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is a man who has ventured into every dungeon he's ever come across, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? Uh, you know, I, I really am less of a kick-in-the-door kind of adventurer. I like some serious RP, some serious role-playing, and, and exploration of our characters' deeper arcs, you know? Uh, which doesn't always mesh well with some of the playgroups I've been with. As long as your character has, you know, the right type of backstory, fully agree. But, you know, really embracing the, um, you know, the tortured uh, warlock or some of these other uh, some of these other roles, you know, it can be quite depressing. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I guess I've never really gone in for that, but, you know... Um... But maybe if you're, you know, a happy-go-lucky person in your normal life, then that would be a worthwhile exploration for you. You know, put the put the shoe on the other foot and uh, wear two left shoes, which sounds incredibly uncomfortable. There you go. Building empathy, one left shoe at a time. <laughs> also joining us is a man who has only ever rolled 20s or 1s, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? Feast or famine, let's go! But I'm I'm doing pretty well though. You know, I do I do love my Feaster Famine decks, Arayo, you know, all those things just kinda like those strong starts or you just draw all the fluff at the wrong time. But I'm doing pretty well. A little tired, but you know, it happens sometimes. Otherwise things are going really well and you know, I've been enjoying modern. Modern's very interesting. I'm excited to talk about the huge impact that Modern Horizons two has had, which is you know, it's it I don't know. It it lots to talk about. It's it's very interesting. <laughs> I'm just glad to see that you are still on the other side of this camera, that you have not burnt to a crisp. That heat wave that you were enduring this past couple of weeks, uh, I'm glad to see you through to the other side. Oh, yeah, that was insane. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It was, you know, like 118 degrees. That's no joke. That's insane. No. It's, you go in the shade, and the breeze is hot, and it's like, okay, uh-huh. this, is some, this is some desert shit right here, you know? Like this, this should not be happening to anyone who's not located in a desert, especially those located in very fertile valleys. But it was brutal. We survived barely, though. But you know, survival at some point, survival is survival. Hopefully, this is uh, not a regular pattern. And if it is, I don't know what we can do to fix it. But uh, Brian alluded to uh, upcoming very shortly i maybe even before our next episode i'm not sure adventures in the forgotten realms is so close so 
besides Portable Hole, there's going to be a, a whole whole bevy of new cards coming out. And it's, like, really close. It's crazy. Yeah, it feels way too fast. Uh, I'm still just, like, loving the Modern Horizons 2 madness. Well, and, and we can. That's the thing. is like, Modern Horizons 2 is not meant to be a set that you uh, fully explore in three months. I, I think... <laughs> there will be some cards that are still sort of working their way into the meta, working their way into decklist, working their way in and out of decklist, and being um, impactful for obviously, you know, it's an eternal format, so forever. But uh, for the next couple months, we'll still be sort of finding bits and pieces um, from from that set. But I mean, we just had an accelerated little period with about six weeks of the Strixhaven season and about you know four to five weeks of the Modern Horizons two season before the uh, for the next one up. Um, and it does seem like there's some stuff that's actually close to an eternal power level. I mean, we'll see if any of it sticks, but like, they're, they're, they do seem to have some pushed cards. And then, of course, there's the venture into the dungeon mechanic, which is <laughs> not super powerful looking. Um, no, at no, least it for does eternal not. formats. But it should look. It should be really fun for limited again. So I, I have to uh, recap because it's been a, a little while since Strixhaven. I played some amount of Strixhaven limited on Arena because it's basically free to do um and it was really really fun like the most fun limited format i've i've played in a long long time so i highly recommend checking out the the next one um if you've never played limited before this might be just like a high benchmark for you to like nothing will ever be as good as as this year of limited because they they seem like they've kind of got it all together um whatever dfc's the double-faced cards, the modal double-faced cards did to uh, Eternal Formats with Oops All Spells ruining everyone's fun all the time. Uh, they, they make for good limited gameplay because you don't get stall on lands sometimes. You actually get to cast your six drops, seven drops. Or you have these extra creatures, extra spells where you would otherwise be drawing lands. So It really seems like um, that is also why they've been going so hard on the token makers right like clue tokens and uh, i guess in the more uh, standard bound sets it's been treasure tokens and food tokens but yeah. having those those extra pieces of quote-unquote free cardboard i think go a long way towards sort of smoothing out some of the variants yeah i, yeah. I love yeah. it i love that we get all these food and clue and you know all these sweet tokens now they're fun you know i, I like treasures are super cool i'm glad they're kind of becoming evergreen yeah, you just like to collect all the cardboard, don't you? Oh just, yeah, just have game the biggest, objects. The biggest stack. Whoever whoever ends the game with the biggest stack of uh, of tokens is the real winner. <laughs> exactly. No matter no matter how the game actually ended. Um, and we'll definitely be we'll definitely be touching on those uh, maybe next time or or, or shortly after. Um, but for now, we're 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 gonna I guess continue on and. Um, look at uh, this this Modern Horizons 2 format as it's been sort of, I guess, the most fully developed it's going to be um, before the induction of some new cards, or close to it. Um, so in, in the last two weeks since Jiggy and I talked, there's been some serious innovation. Now, Jake, uh, I don't remember. I think we were just like a day or two away from the development of Black Red Luris. Is that true? Yeah. Last time I we mean, were talking. It did I, not exist. I, I don't I don't remember mentioning it. I remember we did a, a bit of an in-depth talk about the impact of Urza Saga and Ragavan and uh, Asmora in the cookbook, but no mention of that Black Red Luris deck. Yeah, I do gotta say, you know, we recorded two weeks ago, but it feels like we recorded like maybe two months ago. I don't know. It feels like <laughs> so much time has passed. Uh, yeah, between it's, uh, the last it's, recording, it's 
It's very accelerated. Well, and 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 in the last episode, I was uh, poking fun, perhaps, at the incredible, insightful uh, uh, pro player Jerry Thompson, who you know put his uh, stuck a stake in the ground and recorded an episode of um, the Arena Deckless podcast that said Golgari food is the best new deck in modern or the best deck in modern or whatever he called it, and it was like w- like three days after that went live. The blue black food deck came out, and that is consistently the home for Asmora and Omar Dicadice and the Cool Dakar and the cookbook. So, um, you know, it's it's not just it, it, there are such powerful pieces floating around that finding new arrangements for them that are considerably more powerful than the one that existed before um, is you know is uh, is is going to happen. Um, so I, I've been playing a lot of this format. Jiggy's been playing a lot of this format. Brian, you were away. How, how do you feel about all the things that are happening before we, we get into talking about some of these these bits and pieces? Just a general broad overview. Uh, broadly, I'm still super hyped on it. Um, you know, I haven't had an opportunity to play a whole lot. While I was away, my laptop was uh, not kind to MTGO. It crashed frequently so i I spent some time in the practice queues but um wasn't willing to venture into a league given the frequency of crashes um but i kept up with the metagame and you know we've seen different top decks week after week uh even this week it looks like there's all you know new top decks um and it's stuff that we sort of expected to see or we had seen previously sort of come around again and so that seems like a good sign to me that means that there's a healthy balance on top um, from the few leagues that I have played, uh, I will say there's a depressing amount of artifact hate floating around. Uh, <laughs> I've been completely blown out by Hercules Recall um, oh, for yeah. a while. Glimmer Void, feeling really good. You get one of those artifact lands down, you get down a Glimmer Void, and now you have this you know five color land that doesn't cost you any life, and it's great. Hercules Recall comes along, you lose two of your artifact lands, you lose all your other artifacts on board, and suddenly your Glimmer Void blows itself <laughs> up at end of turn, and you are just filled with nothing but sadness. Oh, yeah. Um, sadness I'm... and regret. <laughs> I've been there. It's crazy, you know, just so many strong hate cards. Yeah, I've been hit by uh, four green, green, creeping corrosion, I think, is the destroy all artifacts creeping one. Creeping corrosion. Yeah, when they bring they bring to light for it, they were four-color escape shift. It's like, ouch, ouch. Yeah, yeah that'll get you good. Um, fracturing Gust is floating around because uh, it has the dual nature of hitting artifacts and enchantments. The Enchantress deck is, of course, uh, a, a deck where if you don't have fairly specialized tools, um, there are certain draws that they can have where any mid-range deck is, is just not going to be able to win. Um, it, it's just it, it just isn't possible. You can't target anything they have. Um, they might Blood Moon you as early as turn two, and you're just toast. So um, uh, there are reasons to do that. Uh, they're super cheap things floating around too there's a, a return to nature i think is one in a green instant or no sorcery destroy all enchantments um and uh there's a, a white versions that are instant speed tempest of light and i think there's another one that's named that and then of course on the artifact destruction space we've got um shattering spree is very uh-huh. popular um for any decks yep. that are heavily red as so many of them are right now and then shatter storm is uh something that i've played um, so there's definitely significant hate and it's funny because, uh, I'm getting more and more comfortable saying 
the words that Urza Saga is not going to get banned. Now, I've never stopped saying the words Urza Saga is not going to get banned and then followed it up by saying, well, I mean, I hope that it doesn't get banned. <laughs> um, but I've, I've really never been more comfortable saying that than I have in the last week or two because it feels like every time I try to play one of these decks, um, it really just feels like the hate is overwhelming. And it's... Um, it's nuanced. It, it's, it, it comes at you from different angles. So um, I don't have any notes about it here, but last night uh, I was playing um, one of our decks that we'll talk about later, which was an Urza Saga artifact-based deck. And I ran into back-to-back blue-green merfolk with 4X main deck Chalice of the Void. And they already play the new card from Modern Horizons 2, Tideshaper. Oh, which yeah. Which is a one-mana, 1-1 one, one merfolk warlock shaman it's probably shaman wizard who uh, knows got, they kill mine it's got a kicker for one that can turn one of your lands into an island which besides giving them something to island walk on if they target an urza saga it dies merfolk does this to me so often it's so brutal it's like come on don't yeah. have the second one you can't have the second one then they have yeah, the second that, one that was the, the my breaking point last night was when one game where i needed my urza saga to stick not for anything other than just the mana I just needed the mana, and uh, second second stone rain on legs was was too much. Well, and uh, this is <laughs> this is something that I I wished that I was here two weeks ago to talk about because the early reaction to Urza's saga was, oh my god, this is field of the dead. It's free value. Yeah, exactly, you get, you know. exactly. And, and I heard so many people just saying, you get free constructs, you get free artifacts, and I'm like, well, actually, you're trading a land for at most a one drop. Which, yep. like, I would much rather have a land in most instances. Uh, and those constructs cost three mana each time and are very easy to remove. And I understand that it is a different axis than most decks are or were equipped to deal with, um, you know, as they had been built. But as we've seen, the hate has been ticking up for it. And I think that a lot of people have that confirmation bias where they see when they get beat by it, but they don't see the times when there's multiple Urza Sagas stuck in their opponent's hand, or they don't see the times that the Urza Saga costs their opponent the ability to cast a creature or a spell on curve, or you know any other number of times where there was a, a failure scenario for them. And so I would definitely encourage anybody who hasn't played with it and thinks that it's busted to really just give it a try. It is very powerful. I will give give it that. I think that it is propping up a lot of these artifact strategies right now, but it's also easy to hate out. And um, I think that there is a lot more cost to running it than a lot of people give it credit for. And I think that we're seeing that borne out when you look at deck lists and, you know, at first everything was running it and now less and less stuff is running it. Yep, 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 yep. Exactly. So it's. Uh, I think it's going to end up being a, a good place in in the meta in general, and just not something you can ignore. Um, one of the overall tones of Modern Horizons to Modern constructed right now, if you're if you're planning on being competitive, is uh, I I forget where I heard this. Um, I want to say it might have been the dive down, but uh, they they just described the current format as hyper efficient, and that yep yep it definitely is. Um, it really feels like a lot of decks in this format are running a huge number of 1CMC spells, 1CMC permanence, uh, mana value for the newcomers. And, uh, and two mana is often, you know, where you kind of like peak out, um, in terms of how much you're casting. I mean, 
of the new decks. Um, and those are the Delverless Delver, uh, Blue Red Prowess has a few new pieces, Black Red Luris, and Urza's Kitchen. All these decks, oh, and Monkey Blade even. Um, it really feels like, by and large, they're sort of peaking on two mana. Um, but there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that focuses uh, the entire metagame into turn one and two being so important. And those cards are, can you remove a Ragavan? Can you remove a Stoneforge Mystic? Um, and how many surveil triggers are you going to let your opponent's Dragon's Rage Channelers get off? Um, oh, Dothy Voidwalker is another incredibly powerful early game um, threat. And because of that, there's just so many decks being built with seven to eight or more uh, uh, one CMC removal spells. Um, and these can be things like Prismatic Ending, which can remove anything, which is a really, really big deal sometimes against the food decks. Uh, they could be things like uh, Unholy Heat, which uh, carries through into the late game, even though it doesn't provide you reach like Lightning Bolt does. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's it, And I, I've, at first I was kind of seeing it like a bad thing. Um, and then uh, I was in a stream talking about that, and the person was just saying, well... No, you just look at it the other direction. What is happening here is what's being encouraged is interaction. You you can't play decks that aren't planning on interacting on turn one, two, or three. Or if you are, you better be able to just immediately win the game on turn three or four, like Titan. Tit Titan's not planning on interacting necessarily with any of this stuff. You know, maybe they play an Arboreal Grazer or a, 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 a Dry the Elysian Groves that can block, maybe. Um, but they're just trying to win on turn three or four, so... I mean, I can see that argument, uh, but, you know, my one concern is that they're just such powerful one-drop plays. Sure, they encourage interaction, you know, you, know, you got to answer that Ragavan or you're going to be, you know, I've I've won with turn one unanswered Ragavans, and I've lost to turn one unanswered Ragavans, and even though it encourages interaction, you know, especially with DRC2, now you have, you know, like, if you, even if you're encouraged to have it, you can put eight one-man removal spells in your deck and, you know, I can tell you, you're not always going to draw them in your opening hand when your opponent has the monkey. And so, you know, you can hedge for your bets, you can do your best, and then you still maybe you just don't have the removal when they have the turn one monkey, and you just get absolutely brutalized, and there's not much you can do. It's just, they're so snowball-y. Even though interaction yeah. is encouraged, you know, if you, if for some odd reason, or if, you know, if you just don't have it, the game can get out of hand very quickly. Well, I do actually, this is maybe a good time to, to ask about this. So I have played a little bit with Ragavan, and um, I do wonder, you know, people keep saying turn one Ragavan gets super snowball-y, but generally speaking, and, and this is, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with it, there's been very few times where I've connected on turn two or turn three even and been able to cast a spell off of the opponent's, uh, you know, library. So are we primarily talking about the benefit you get from the treasures or, you know, I, I was expecting to be able to cast stuff on turn two, basically. Like we've seen this, this um, lowering of the mana curve and things like that. So I kept thinking like, okay, I'm going to go into turn two, I'll have three mana and I'm just going to cast whatever flips off the top of their deck. And like pretty frequently it's just been uncastable or I hit lands and it, it may have been some bad beats for me, but uh, yeah. And I would definitely say it's both, you know, there is like, I, you, it's true that you don't get to cast things as often from the top of the library, but you do get a fair amount, you know, especially if you hit a one drop, but you hit a bobble or zero. But there's also just, 
you know, like the absolute snowball case where you connect and, you know, you hit their Ren in six. Or, for instance, you know, like against five color that Niv, I go, nice. I have five color Niv, I go turn one monkey, they have turn one sprawl. I swing with monkey, it flips a vindicate. And I vindicate <laughs> their sprawl land. And, you know, just like that's, that is game over. I even had the acceleration from the monkey cast a pillage that the opponent, they, they put the pillage in their deck. They play turn one monkey, hit you, and then they pillage you. It's like the play draw discrepancy, you know, times a million. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And that, I think it's really well put too. As much as, you know, I'm, I love Ragavan and I've been abusing putting Ragavan in my decks and everything. It's just, it's so, yeah, I think, I think you, you said it very well, Zach. Yeah, and I mean, so you can, and that's the thing is I already mentioned that the whole metagame is, is on a, an efficiency axis like we've never seen before or at least you know it's weird to me but this feels like when i first joined modern there was a whole class of decks that were played like affinity at the time that were more like what we're seeing these this top tier of decks being right now um and it's like it's like humans and it's like every single turn they can squeeze out every single mana that they have access to um and so you know, the Black Red Luris deck, which is maybe the biggest boogeyman of the format right now, um, it maybe shifted away a little bit, but we'll, we'll see how that um, shakes out. The, the way that they're able to use the treasure tokens when they're also a Luris deck, like all of a sudden when they play Luris, instead of just getting a Mishra's Bobble that turn when they're stuck on three lands, sometimes they get to play a Dothy Voidwalker or replay the Ragavan because they've got a couple of treasures kicking around. Like, there's just so many, and that deck plays like two to four Culligan's Command main deck. That that's normally a little bit much of an ask in the um, sort of mid game is mana investment, but if you got one or two treasures kicking around, all of a sudden this two for one is very very powerful. Yeah, that um, makes a lot of sense, and that that's uh, and then there's the 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 high ceiling where sometimes you hit something off your opponent's deck like a vindicate, and it's like, oops, I won. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> like you don't you don't plan. And I think that's the thing is like most of these decks that are doing a great job with the monkey, especially the blue decks. They don't often cast the cards off their opponent's deck because they're just going to hold it to use Counterspell or cast a Murktide region up and then still have access to a Counterspell. And if you don't interact with them, they get to keep the treasures. So That makes sense. And they're generating more of them next turn. So if you try to interact, <laughs> they can burn the treasures. They're still going to get one back. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of how it's working out. Um, so... Uh, one last thing I want to touch on. I love this blue-black or blue-black-red in its newest version, uh, uh, Urza's Kitchen decks. But, oh, my God, I am having such a hard time having success with them. This is perhaps one of the best decks in the format. And it feels like every league I boot up, it's like I'm running into, like, turn one pipping needles or tide shapers. Or it's, like, it's, it's really hard to be playing this deck into the field of hate. And... It's hard to attack the Black Red Luris deck, so I think people are just very comfortable to take their points against uh, against the actual artifact-based decks and decks like Titan. Um, but this Black Red Luris deck, it, it's just such an amalgamation of um, just like cheap, valuable creatures and two for ones and good removal. And there's just no really good way to hate it out. Um, the new Jun. Maybe we'll touch. Yeah, it's, it is exactly. It's the new Jund. Um, it's, it's the best. Its Jund ceiling deck. is not is not crazy, but it's just a really really good mid range deck. Um, and and you know for people who remember when Jund was terrifying, you know Bloodbraid Elf, then Bloodbraid Elf, then Bloodbraid Elf was like the most powerful thing that could happen. 
Um, it's, it's similar to playing against that, where it's like, well, you can't bring in, like, something that hates on Cascade. That's stupid. The whole rest of their deck will crush you if you turn off the Bloodbraid Elves. And it feels like the Black Red Luris' is, is, is deck is very similar. It's like, oh, you could bring in this, or you could bring in that, but it's like, the rest of the deck is just going to crush you. They don't care about any one particular card or axis. So anyway. I dig it. I dig yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... Just the I looked at the um, there was a big Insight Esports 5K that I played in um, that was last weekend on the Saturday. There was also a Saturday challenge and a Sunday challenge. Uh, rather than running through all the deck lists that uh, were in the top 32 or top eight of any of that, uh, I just put together a little sort of tier tier list here. Um, and the caveat is um, tier one, as I'm defining it here, is decks that you would expect to see in the top eight. Um, decks where you look at the top eight, you see that deck, and you go, "Yep, that's that's totally normal." Yeah. Um, so, and you would expect to see multiple other versions in the top thirty-two. And then when we get to the tier two decks, it's decks we expect to see in the top thirty-two. Not surprised to see them there, and they may sneak into a top eight. So, for me, when I think of a tier one deck, I think of you know, like if you were to play this deck, you would have a very, very, very good chance of top eighting if you you know just like played if you played. Uh, optimally pretty much you know that's what that's kind of my definition of a tier one deck it's like if you yeah. if you play it if, if your goal is to make top eight of the tournament or to win it you know just like the tier one decks are the decks that you would choose from absolutely absolutely and and to that end um the the other reason it's important to think of what the tier one decks are is usually these will be overrepresented in um the rest of the the rest of the tournament. So you can also expect to play against these decks. One of the more important reasons to know what the tier one is, is not just knowing what you might want to play if your if success is your your goal, um, but but seeing what you might want to be able to beat or be thinking of with your sideboard of main deck considerations. So uh, right now we've got uh, the first mention, and this is in no particular order, uh, Amulet Titan. Uh, sometimes, currently, we're seeing this weird through the breach Emrakul version that Canister did very, very well with. Um, Canister actually ran three back-to-back top eights and was angling for the fourth one uh, on the Sunday uh, last Sunday and uh, didn't didn't make it. I think he fell into the the top sixteen space. Uh, but just an incredible run from someone who may may be the best modern player in the world. I'm starting to think um, he might be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely, <laughs> definitely very good. Uh, but he, he may just, like, be the, the most consistent, best uh, modern player in the world. So big shout-out to, to Canister for many, many reasons. A joy um, to watch on stream, up, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can watch all of, all, all of what he does. And uh, he's, it's, it's, it is its own version of a riot um, in both maybe the auditory and uh, entertainment <laughs> sense. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in second place, we had, uh, uh, or, or in, in, as a second choice here, uh, Black Red Luris. This is the new hotness. Uh, this was created by Aspiring Spike. I, I didn't mention it earlier. Um, just very difficult to attack. It's just a powerful, powerful mid-range deck. Um, the third, fourth, and four, uh, third choice here and the fourth choice here are um, similar. Uh, the blue-red decks, uh, either Delverless Delver, which basically uses Dragon's Rage Chandler, Ragavan, and Murktide Regent. Um, as its threats, and then there are blue-red prowess decks. I think I would push these down into tier two if they don't put up a showing this weekend, just because they 
were totally invisible. Then they seemed to pop back up and do really, really well. And now they seem to be on the way out again. Um, so blue-red prowess maybe doesn't really belong here, but that is going to be characterized by um, actually playing mountains. The Delverless Delver decks usually play actual islands in the deck. Um, not playing Murktide Regent, playing Stormwing Entity, um, so these things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether the Delverless Delver or the Prowess variant, you know, winds up being more successful. They're both pretty similar, and they've, you know, this now even the blue-red Prowess now plays uh, Dragon Rage Chandler and Bobble, uh, which they didn't before, even if they don't have the counter spells in the Archmage's Charm or the counter backup that the Delverless Delver deck has. But it'll be really interesting. I've run into both of these decks in leagues. Uh, you know, they're, they're both still very good decks. Uh, you know, it's actually pretty funny. We've been messing a bunch with Cannonist Brews, and the Cannonist Brews actually do much better against the Blue Red, against the Blue Red Delverless Delver deck, because Soul Scar Mage plus Lightning Bolt will defeat uh, your Welding Jars. Yeah, which is. Which is like a hilarious interaction that drives me crazy. It's like you're you're already you already have good enough creatures. Why do you need these incidental things that like for some odd reason hose my very specific strategy? It's not fair. Uh, but yeah, anyways, oh, yeah. they're they're solid decks. So uh, then another the the rest of the top tier we've got uh, Urza's Kitchen. This is usually blue black and with a splash of red. Now um, they eventually figured out I think that they need some ability to deal with opposing artifacts. Um, uh, but it's, it's very light. It's just like a couple copies of a braid in the sideboard. And then otherwise, um, things like stony silence definitely pre present a problem for them. Um, but the deck is reasonably functional even at that point, And you, you still have to deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff there. Um, then there's Jeskai monkey blade. Um, sorry, apologies to Jiggy Wiggy for Omnath monkey blade. It doesn't quite make the top tier. <laughs> top eight again. Yeah. Um, it's hard, you then, know, it's hard. It is hard. And then uh, last up, ha Hammer Time. Hammer Time's actually been doing really, really well. Um, in the hands of not so many pilots as some of these other decks, I think it's definitely um, a deck that takes some um, uh, a light touch, I'm going to say, to be able to navigate the hate that is pounding these other decks at the same time. Um, but there are a few of these Hammer Time pilots that are just putting up unbelievable results, including a challenge mm -hmm. win last weekend. So, um, And I played it, uh, I think, within the last week, and I, I went 4-1 in the one league that I played. Um, it just se seemed incredibly smooth, well-constructed. Uh, Esper Sentinel, great pickup for that deck. Uh, carries equipment nicely, um, constantly provides this little um, this little problem for your opponent where if they don't have an extra mana lying around, you're getting to draw extra cards uh, in did, the early game. Did you find yourself going for Ink Moth kills frequently? It feels like um, some of these creature lands might be well positioned, you know, with the shift away from um, Path to Exile, more towards Prismatic Ending. There's a little bit more sorcery speed removal right now than... Uh, I, I instant speed although i guess um things like unholy heat are uh pretty popular too so yeah i i know i definitely pulled them off a couple times um i mean it, it happens when it happens the other thing is in, in modern sometimes hitting your opponent for 12 or 11 is is about as good as infect killing them because mm -hmm. they, they have to hit their own life total so hard just to keep up with you um 
because you come out swinging so quickly. And then the grind of this deck is unreal. I mean, I, I mostly didn't get to take advantage of it myself, but I've played against Hammer Time with a couple of decks where we go into the late game and they get Luris going and then they start chain drawing uh, Urza's Sagas. Not for any good reason. They're not trying to find them. They just You just pick a couple of them up over the course of the game and then all of a sudden it's crazy. Yeah, Urza's Saga is such a huge pickup uh, for Hammer Time, I think. You know, it's interesting because even though, you know, just like it just it's just making big creatures that kind of swing through, it has kind of the same weaknesses as the Hammer Time deck in general. But even so, it's just such a good pickup. Uh, something that I've been learning, I've been playing more and more Saga decks. Just Saga subsidizes your garbage cards very well, and Hammer yeah. Time is you know like a it's a very high synergy. It's a junk pile. Yeah, it's a junk pile. You know, very high <laughs> synergy. It's like the decks that we dream to make, but we can't quite make as good as Hammer Time. Uh, but you know, well, we don't want to kill people so fast. If the game ends on turn three, I have to stop drawing cards. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is this is true. Subsidizing the junk pile is exactly what we've been saying about Urza all, all these you know episodes. Uh, but it turns out when you put the constructs uh, on a land that is a lot harder to interact with than a four mana creature, and uh, you you know, enable creating them sort of at will for two turns and the cost of three mana, uh, things uh, get a little bit a little bit better, I guess. You know? Yeah, Turn- yeah that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's crazy. And then, yeah, and then I want to breeze through this uh, sort of tier two list. Um, we can go back over it when I finish with the list um, if you guys have any particular decks you want to talk about um, in this list. So, again, these are decks I would not be surprised to see in the top 32-16 of a challenge and uh, would be surprised to see one poke into the top eight, but not, like, you know, floored. Uh, it'd be like, oh, neat. Um, some of these are higher sort of a bit higher than others if you want to get finicky and go 1.5 you know you can do that at your leisure um, these top two uh four color living in and team or cascade rhinos definitely in that sort of top 1.5 yep, territory yep. uh enchantress just underneath them has been putting up some seriously strong showings recently it's just very difficult for some of these decks to interact with um obosh red always sort of just floating around um, four blood moons and a good mid-range package is just hard to uh, turn down in modern uh, hardened scales took a challenge win earlier this uh, season in the hands of dom harvey since then uh, you just see a couple of them floating around but it's again still quite a powerful linear, linear strategy um, five color pitch elementals this is uh, i'm calling it this it's it's a five color el- elemental deck that's running a lot of the modern horizons 2 mythic cycle with uh, solitude endurance fury uh, things like that uh, usually not subtlety so much as i think that that card has been kind of found to be a little bit lackluster um there's uh, mono white taxes uh that or there's a few different tweaks with colors sometimes red white sometimes blue um Five color Niv Mizzet is still putting up the occasional finish. Um, I think it's having trouble with just the brutal of efficiency of some of these other decks. Yep. Sometimes you just you just fall behind in the early game where otherwise you used to have a little bit more time to wiggle. Um, Blue Black Mill put up some really strong um, results a couple weeks back, sort of right as the format was starting with Modern Horizons 2, but then hasn't been able to put up any challenge topping results so i don't know exactly what's happening to them that they're able to do like well in prelims but not at the big show um but the deck still still seems very good um we got humans we got eldrazi tron uh four color btl shift going back escape shift stuff uh, sorry going, yeah. 
going back to five color niv i think one of the big things that happened to it was actually ragavan and you know the drc2 to a smaller extent where you don't really sure. play one mana removal you know your one mana turn is just as you know utopia sprawls acceleration and you know if you're a niv player and you don't have that removal until turn two just you're going to get eaten alive by uh just a turn one ragavan especially since you know there are so many decks are playing them i think that is a huge problem that Niv has right now and a lot of these decks too just if you take turn one off Ragavan can punish you so hard yeah it's definitely possible I mean they do and the, 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 I think on the flip side Ragavan has a high 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 ceiling against them I mean think of how many great cards they could flip off your deck and play when you're a Ren and Six deck you're a Teferi Time Raveler deck you're like and these cards are devastating to be played against you a lot of the time especially Teferi is kind of a pain in the ass if, if you're not the one playing it especially when it's coming in ahead of curve. So, yeah, uh, definitely need to watch out for that. Uh, I threw in my guy, Velomachus Turns. Uh, I I had a source, someone who was popping into my chat yesterday who I did not know previous to yesterday, who um, I went 2-2 in the showcase challenge, but this person was at 7-1 and one when they started popping in and saying hi. Um, so we'll, I'll look for them in the uh, results um, but I did manage to make top 32 in that Insight Esports uh, 5K Woo. with a very humble 4-3 record. Um, but uh, still, I think it's, it's, a, it's a force. And then black-green Yawgmoth combo still doing well. So, Brian, your paper investment is still safe for the moment in Tier 2. <sighs> You don't even know. Uh, Giralf's Messenger went from being like $3, <laughs> you know, a year and a half ago to $10 to now 30 or $40. What? So how is that competing with my investments in hardwood lumber? Is that... <laughs> uh, I think you're probably better off with the lumber right now. Lumber price <laughs> is still insane. Uh, Giralf's yeah. Messenger due for a reprint. Um, not so much with the, the lumber. You still got to grow those trees. Yeah. Well, maybe Innistrad 2, 3? Innistrad 3, the Phantom Menace? Uh, no, Revenge, <laughs> Revenge, Revenge of the Revenge of the Graph Diggers um, there you go. is coming up soon. Maybe we'll get a, a promo version of, Gra of uh, Dralf's Messenger, and, and someone will tell us that that's a uh, quote-unquote uh, significant reprint. Man, prices make no sense these days. Like, what? I know, I know. Was um, it always this expensive? You know, just like... Seems pretty no. expensive no. now. Things that haven't gotten reprints uh, have been getting really pricey because, and especially now that people are getting ready to get back to paper play, things are just like really moving hard. Um, because over the pandemic, people didn't sort of know how long they would have to hold on to these cards for them to be worth anything. And I think you could probably see a general trend of things getting cheaper. Because over time, more and more people were going, you know what, maybe I'm never going to play Magic again, and I'll just sell out now. Um, and I, I, I totally sympathize with that. You know, I when we struck it big, you and I, Jig, about, what, 13, 14 months ago with the Urian Kinnon deck, oh, I yeah. still have some of that order sitting in, like, the stack where it came to me from yep. the store. Yep. Yeah, crazy. It, it, that that whole thing happened like during the pandemic. I never got the I never got the opportunity to play that during in paper. Yeah. I just desleeved within the last 2 weeks two different decks that had four copies of Arkham's Astrolabe, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. This is the first time that I ever had a reason to do that realistically. Um, one of those decks had four copies of Uro. Like it it's 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 crazy. It's crazy, um, but as 
the world is sort of starting to open up again. People are going, oh, we're, we're getting it back to paper play. And then, and um, for those who have been sort of poking at uh, services like Card Hoarder and Mana Traders for some of their failure to keep up with demand in the last little week, I don't think people maybe understand how unprecedented the popularity of Modern Horizons 2 has been for Eternal formats in general, but obviously specifically for Modern. I have never seen the queues this big. I have never seen the events this big, in, at, least, at least in the last two years or so. Um, and maybe it's just like the pandemic pent up, you know. Um, <laughs> but I mean it. And, oh, and yeah, so, yeah. And, no, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm laughing because it's true. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then on top of all those things, there's the simple, um, I say simple. There's the uh, economic thing that happens with these master sets and Modern Horizons where, okay, so we just got the enemy fetch lands reprinted. And you know what that means? The allied fetch lands are about to spike up like crazy. And if you go look at them, that's exactly what's happened. And this is a pattern that you, if you are going to be a long-time Eternal Magic player, you need to know this. If there is a significant reprint of parts of some decks, the other parts will almost always move up quite a bit. And one of the biggest reasons is that more people go, oh, these cards are cheaper now. I'm going to buy into deck X. The cards that didn't get reprinted all of a sudden become the short supply. And supply and demand is going to drive those prices right up. So any Mythics, especially any Mythic that's been printed only once, uh, or even rares, I think Jarl's Messenger might be just a rare, that, that card has never been reprinted. The, the yep. supply is pretty low. Um, one premiere set printing is very different than two. Is very different than three. And especially one that, that was before Return to Ravnica. Mm-hmm. Return mm-hmm. to Ravnica, um, some people may be aware, this is one of the biggest spikes in MTG production in terms of the popularity of the game at large. So, again, all these factors just go into you, you got to look at some of these cards and just figure out how high they're going to go, and maybe you need to get in at a reasonable time. Well, what and a we're funny still, system. Uh, yeah, it's a funny system indeed. We're still in the middle of, um, you know, ramping out the Modern Horizons 2 in paper, and box costs have gone down so you can find uh, they, they've been draft fluctuating box. pretty big it's crazy yeah but so you can find a draft box online for about 215 dollars us for a draft box um yeah which is the lowest i've seen yet the ev on a box remains at around 300 dollars. so that means Ooh. that it is actually profitable to be opening boxes right now on average which Damn. is absolutely insane this set's been out for what almost a month in paper now and for the EV to be that high, that means people are still snapping up these cards. Ragavan is still, you know, hovering around $85, $90. It's, it's um, sold out everywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. If you can get your hands you on boxes can't. and you want to open, you know, it, it's not always a winning proposition, but it seems like right now is the time to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, I mean, I fully support that because... so. Uh, on the opening weekend, uh, and this will be the last, last, last finance point, I promise <laughs> for any listeners who are who don't really care about this stuff, um, I communicated to both of you my supreme excitement over the old border fetch lands, mm-hmm. and I have been trying to snap them up. Now, um, on the weekend where Modern Horizons Two came out, uh, the LGS that I buy from face-to-face games, Canada, which is like a a nationwide distributor. And they have a number of stores, but they're all networked together uh, online. 
they had their online stock go up, and I looked at the old border fetch lands. They had 15 to 20 of each old border fetch land, compared to several hundred of the regular frame and a lot of the foil etched versions. So I don't know why, but the non-foil retro frame fetch lands are the shortest supply for whatever reason. And I thought, okay, well, these prices look really good. I'm going to get these, but I'm going to do a trade-in first. So I'll get my trade-in and I'll go online on Monday, Tuesday. By the time I got online, they were all sold out. And in the two weeks since then, they haven't restocked those cards, not one time. Um, so I've been uh, uh, I've been uh, pushed into trying to snipe these off of eBay. And I've been able to do it at a reasonable pace, but they're starting to pick up in price. And so it feels like the window is <laughs> closing on getting them at the, at the best possible price. Um, and what I'm saying is, as I've sort of, like, that was my focus. But as I look out at some of the other cards that are similar, like Ragavan, because it's a high-demand mythic, uh, I would assume Old Border Dothy Voidwalker is something similar. Um, it is really hard to find these cards. And as you described, I don't know. I, I just, like, it's crazy. And it, it makes sense why the EV is still so high. Um, and it may be the case that uh, stores are still not getting enough boxes. Um, mm -hmm. because I know that was a major concern. At first. I, I was just going to say, I wonder how much of this is also uh, that stores haven't fully reopened for, for play. And so you're not getting the same level of like store traffic and trade-ins for, you know, the LGS to support some of these purchases. Yeah, that may be the case. And so everybody's kind of funneled into some of these bigger online retailers and, you know, that puts mm -hmm. a, a stress on them. Yeah, everyone doing all their trade-ins to SCG and uh, Channel Fireball mm -hmm. and, and whatever. Yeah, that may be the case. Yep. Anyway, it's uh, if you are looking for any of these sort of chase cards right now, uh, chase hard because the prices are going to be moving up. Uh, and I think in a very significant way soon enough. So uh, just just watch it. If you thought the price looked reasonable a month ago and then you just don't check in, uh, don't be shocked if it's moved up by even 50%. Um, so. Damn. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just warning people because I've seen in the, first, <laughs> in the first couple of weeks those those old border fetch prices have started moving up by 10%, 20%, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see things like that happening across the board with some of the, especially some of the more chase stuff, um, whereas the rest of it, luckily, is going to move down. So Urza's Sagas have had a great price in paper uh, compared to online especially. Uh, if you want to buy into your Urza Sagas in paper, it's not as high of a risk as most of these other things. Um, so, <laughs> all right. Um, a couple lists I pulled out, and then we'll move off of the uh, off the modern meta game here. So, uh, first up, we've got a Infect list that made tenth place in the Insight Esports event. I've played this on my YouTube channel. This is uh, Oops All Hierarchs Infect. It's playing four Ignoble Hierarch, four Noble Hierarch, and the only other one drop is nope. There isn't anything else. There's no Glistener Elves. No Glistener Elf in this Infect deck. Instead, they have 4X Splited Agent, 4X Plague Stinger, 4X Phyrexian Crusader. So I don't know if either of you watched me play this deck, but what is your you know instinctual reaction to seeing an Infect deck like this and thinking, well, how, how good could this be in the modern meta? I mean, it makes sense. These decks are always terrifying. You know, it kind of, it's it does have the Listener Elf, so it makes itself a little bit more more resilient at a cost as a small cost of speed but also you have protection crusader which is just like protection from all, everything relevant <laughs> yeah uh first strike for those who first don't know it's pro red also pro nasty. white it's crazy like turok some people are like that pro white 
unbelievably good. Um, uh, Sanctifier en vec right now with pro red, pro black. Very difficult to remove. Pro red, pro white is almost impossible. Yep. I love this. I actually am not terribly surprised. So I've been hanging around the uh, Tom Ross Discord because that's where a lot of the Ogmoth talk happens. And uh, he's got a channel in there for Infect as well. And as soon as Ignoble was spoiled, I saw the the Infect channel started lighting up a bunch. I think people were talking about doing exactly this. Um, but I, I mean, I love it. It's like you know noble hierarch is just such a powerful card and then to have eight of that effect seems fantastic uh and you know infect was able to cheese out wins on like turn two already and now you've just kind of upped the explosiveness and um you know sort of the power of that deck so i i'm not surprised to see this i think i want to push back on that a little bit i think of the reverse you've pushed back the explosiveness so this infect deck is not explosive Mm -hmm. like the other ones because you don't you zero percent to turn two kill zero percent it's it's not possible you can't turn two kill anyone with this deck um because you don't have the turn one infect creature sure and and that was the point but and you're playing eight two mana creatures with one toughness which to me seemed crazy like your infect threats and and the ink moth nexus all of them are one ones all of them but the important thing that when i saw it I, th- I said to myself this must be the reason why all of them actually have evasion of some form now plague stinger kind of sucks um blighted agent being your only blue card kind of sucks other than a couple sideboard slots but it's worth it to have all of them have some kind of evasion and the phyrexian crusader has resiliency on top of that, this is more infect threats than most infect decks were playing before. Usually they would play 12, this is 16. And it's a very significant difference um, when you actually get into playing it. So, uh, spoiler alert, I went 8 and 2 on uh, two different leagues, over two different leagues on stream. And I am no I am no infect expert by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, if you like this kind of gameplay... So, I- I do have a question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, in regards to the the sort of explosiveness comment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're 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 eschewing the ability to have that turn two win. Yeah. But did you find that you were getting a single turn win? Yes. With Tur- the turn infect, three, or did you find that you still had to no, attack? Turn three kills turns? happened a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay. Like you yeah, got a lot. Of that's I guess what I was kind of. And so thinking there is a lot of pump spells yeah, in this one the, i don't know yep. if they normally play that many. Uh, i i don't know but the mix on this deck was like pretty bang on uh, i made some changes to the sideboard so if you check out my video on youtube you can uh, get a deck list link from there and that will go to the updated deck list um, i was sourcing from chat at the same time we're playing some things like force of vigor uh, this deck list was submitted with a 13 card sideboard which was very strange um, considering what they made champ. 10 <laughs> power play, well, they didn't, I guess they didn't need it. Um, I'm also guessing that maybe they had two cards in specific that they could not get a hand on. Um, uh, maybe they were force of vigors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly what we put in the sideboard and actually we cut the dryad arbor, um, that was in the sideboard there. Um, so anyway, uh, in fact, actually playable. And I think part of this is, um, the decrease in the popularity of prowess and the card Lavadart in particular makes this a little bit more appealing. Um, also, Worth noting, the the eight hierarchs, I mean, that's not a meme. It's actually a big deal. Um, With Infect, uh, a lot of the play pattern tends to be you put out one creature and you attack a couple times with it and you start needling your opponent. And what happens is if they respond with removal, you 
blow them out with a blossoming defense, and you might kill them if they just tapped out. And so your opponent is incentivized not to kill your creature during combat. They have to wait until your end step. This deck has redundant threats. So you can attack them for like two with one of your infect creatures and an exalted trigger off a hierarch, and then post-combat just play another threat. And now they're like, oh, I had the piece of removal for your one threat. Now you have two threats. What? I, uh, shit. <laughs> um, and the more hierarchs you have, the more damage you're getting each turn. And it really changes the clock very quickly. Um, so uh, you have to be patient to play Infect correctly. Um, but when you do, it becomes a very interesting little chess game. I, I like to think of the Infect, the way Infect plays is like this like very truncated game of magic where it's like the late game is turn four or five. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's very like the, the, the whole chess meets poker thing that we think of as magic being sometimes, it's very much alive in decks like this. I imagine the, uh, the like Kung Fu masters just standing there staring at each other. Yeah for like 10 minutes then bowing and walking away <laughs> because they just had the fight in their mind and we're like yep all right yeah that's 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 me. very very much what this deck plays like sometimes <laughs> um next up uh just a uh, a touch on some brave soul who actually managed to do reasonably well with esper control uh, this deck hasn't been seen too much um i think if you want to play a blue control deck that is like a blue control deck like capital blue capital control deck um, you should look at tsp yendrick's uh jeskai list that's very well set up for the format, but so is this one. So this is from uh, user rclint21. It's got Snapcaster Mages, Jason Teferi, Fatal Pushes, Opts, Prismatic Endings, Counterspells, Damn, uh, Archmage's Charm, Esper Charm, Kaya's Guile, and Cryptic Command. So it's it's sort of like you know just the 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 milk toast white bread Esper control from the previous seasons, and they they managed to put up a result with it. Um, so if you want to play something like this, this is probably the mixture of things you should be playing in that deck. Um, we've got a really weird one. So these are from the Saturday challenge. This was the one that was running alongside the Insight Esports 5K, which I believe people were aware was sort of the higher stakes event. So this challenge may have been a little bit softer, but we have a crazy Greentron list. Have you guys seen this Greentron with three copies of Wandering Archaic? Yeah, I think, you know, I actually think that Warring Archaic might be a little underplayed and could be, you know, quietly a killer, especially yeah. since everything, with everything just moving to be so brutally efficient. Uh, Wandering Archaic, uh, it's five mana for a 4-4 four, four, uh, avatar creature, uh, just five generic colorless, and whenever your opponent casts an instant or sorcery, copy it unless they pay, you get to copy it unless they pay two. Uh, which is, you know, like if you're facing a prowess or whatever, uh, you know, like you copy all their removal, all their bolts, which is nice. The other thing is that it kind of makes, you know, just your spells uncounterable because should they choose to count, cast counterspell on one of your spells, if you have an archaic out, the archaic will copy their counterspell unless they pay two. And if they don't have the two to pay, then you can copy the counterspell and counter their counterspell. Uh, so it's in the kind of like the Arayo effect where, you know, your first. You might your spells might be uncounterable, which is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so this is just looks like classic, pretty classic Greentron uh, that just plays three wandering archaic main deck and oh, and four Leyland of Sanctity main deck. So not quite, but you know I can see you just kind of hedge your bets and hope to be discarded. It looks sweet, and this stuff kind of has me itching to try wandering archaic again. You know, uh, I'm a little I'm a little curious about that card now. 
Yeah, I've run it in... I don't remember what I was running it in, but I do have, like, a, I, I managed to cast it a few times, and yeah, it was um, surprisingly good. Uh, the back half, never cast the back half. That one, that one, not so great. I, I believe it's a, a tutor, but it it's a tutor for, for both of you, so your opponent also gets to tutor something to hand. Not exactly what you want to be doing for your opponents. Um, to add on to... Uh, some of the oddities. It looks like they've adopted one Yavamile Cradle of Growth, which uh, I guess is probably not a huge surprise. Really like that tech. Um, that card seems uh, like a good pickup right about now. Uh, it's cheaper than Urborg uh, has been in the last few years, so if you're interested in the green Urborg, definitely grab it now, I think, because mm. that card is bound to just go up, up, up. Well, it helps that um, it's in a big, big, big print run, a very popular set, and that um, uh, there's not as many as incentives for it. So I feel like it's never going to be as popular in EDH because, like, there's there's a lot of incentive to turn all your lands into swamps. There's not as many for forest. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Arbor Elf, pretty good incentive along yeah. with um, Nykthos. Well, I guess yeah, Nykthos it's isn't as helpful. It's a free roll in most green decks, you know. I think definitely it's going to be huge in EDH. Yeah, I just I'm just saying like black has a history of like a large number of iconic spells that say count the number of swamps you control. Period. Like mm -hmm. this this only works yeah, yeah. if you're playing as many swamps as you can, um, especially Cabal Coffers, yeah, right? That's fair. You know, well, well known. Yeah. Well known. Um, yep, cool. yep. And then uh, finally, I, I did put into our notes here the five color pitch elementals deck that made the uh, the top of um, that. Uh, this was on the Sunday, actually. So this was not the soft challenge. This was the 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 hard challenge. This was the one with uh, as many grinders as felt like playing it uh, in there. This deck is a this deck is obnoxious as hell. It's just, <laughs> it's just I'm gonna pitch all my elemental, just kill all your shit, yeah. just remove all your creatures, yeah. ephemerate it. Oh my, this deck drives me crazy. I mean, it's really good, of course. You know, just like the Risen Reef, and then <laughs> you just. Evoke out solitude with your risen reef. You like recover the card that you pitch. Just it's, it's just drives me yeah. crazy, man. I hate this I, deck. I um I was running one stream uh and uh, I finished my second deck for the night, which is usually where I finish. But we had such huge numbers. I was like, okay, guys, I want to play another league. And someone was like, play this deck. And I played a a, a version that was um kind of on the old technology. Uh, wasn't playing Omnath, but it was playing the Skelementals and the uh, Thunderkin Harbinger, but with the Pitch Elementals, with the new the new MH2 cards, and that was oh, spicy. it was a romp. It was so much fun, um, and I think if the top tier of modern, as we've described it, ever gets sort of shaken out a little bit, I think the the power of Solitude and Fury sitting right underneath that, um, for the moment, isn't a bad thing. But uh, it, it could get really frustrating eventually because the number of times you're like, okay, they've got two cards in hand. I hope I don't get horribly blown. Oh, yeah, there it is. Always, it's, always. It's they always, always have it. You know, why wouldn't an appropriately colored card? Why wouldn't they have yeah, it? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Needs to be asked more. Yeah. I, I do have a, a question about um, Solitude. Do we think that that is maybe a little underplayed right now? I, I have faced against it. Um, it was played in a star, you know, straight blue-white control list, and I will say I thought it was 
excellent in that deck. Most of the time they were hard casting it on five, but it was removing something like an Urza or uh, a big construct that was you know problematic for them, and it gave them a clock. Um, I, I actually feel like just looking at you know your your plain Jane blue white control with some of these uh, might not be a bad idea. I mean. The yeah. general concern is it I, might be uncastable all the time, and the only other white cards that you'd be playing to pitch to it are your other removal spells. So that, like, that's mm -hmm. my major concern. And obviously, you mentioned like you're planning on playing it, but like five mana for removals is a tough ask right now when the aggressive and mid range decks are so efficient. But it's definitely like right around sure. the corner. I, I mean, taxes in any of these color combinations mordekaiser's uh recruiter taxes in all of its different um permutations this has been one of the most powerful cards in it and especially teamed up with ephemerate so i think i think if you want to play this card you should be playing it with ephemerate and it it just puts the ceiling so unbelievably high um where you can actually mm -hmm. keep up with uh, some of the better aggressive and and mid-range value decks by just going triple removal off of solitude ephemerate and it makes for some really mind-bending game situations so it's it's fun and it's good um I, I don't know if it's underplayed but it's certainly very powerful and it's it's waiting in the wings to uh to be a big force yeah there's a there's definitely a price to playing solitude you know if you two for one yourself like yeah it's just a source of pressure but you're still two for one yourself just like force of negation even if you know they force of negation you turn to ren and six like yeah that kind of sucks you'd rather have the ren that's still pretty good for you and like they took a pretty big hit in order to do that and they're you know they're going to pay for it down the road i think solitude is similar but solitude you know it kind of has the thing of just maybe that low low floor high ceiling like maybe yeah. even a high variance card because the times when you have the you know like solitude of fem rate and your opponents on an aggro deck just like you can't lose after you have a play like that no it's yeah it's, like, it's, it's just gross so it's you know, just you know i think low low floor high ceiling just high variance card and you know maybe i think the secret to solitude will be the people who can kind of uncover how can we raise the floor so if we turn it from you know just like a medium floor to a high ceiling card then you know like now we're cooking then i think you know if you can find a shit like that for solitude uh it'd be a very powerful deck so yeah that's uh a big big recap of the metagame again so uh did, didn't mean to go that in depth but i'm glad we got to uh chat with brian and his feelings of the matter and um we'll see i suppose in the next little while uh some of the impact of uh the adventures in the forgotten realms cards um so besides analyzing meta, I think we're all ready to do a little brewing, right? Hell yeah. All right. Let's take a brief pause, and when we return, we'll talk about some Arayo brews. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back. Uh, so first up, we have a pretty sweet Arayo brew, uh, by none other than Dr. Combo. Uh, why don't you, uh, tell us a little about this Arayo brew? Yeah, so I'm definitely a sucker for Arayo more than most people. I think, in almost everyone's heart, I think everyone is a sucker for Arayo at some point. But, you know, I think I'm an extra big sucker for Arayo, especially since the first trophy that I got for Serum Visions was, like, a a brew based on Arayo that you know you that both of you helped to contribute to. I always it'll always have a special soft spot in my heart now. Uh, I remember watching Zach play some blue white Urza mid range brews from Habitron and Leagues and with Esper Sentinel and Urza Saga uh, and 
Urza and Thought Modern. They looked like a lot of fun, so I kind of messed with some of those myself. Uh, and then decided to kind of merge the two and take this and then add the Arayo uh, little package. And, you know, as I was kind of messing with these, I was slowly coming to the conclusion that Urza Saga is, like, insanely busted. And, I mean, this is, think, you know, a lot of people can kind of say that now. But the thing I did not realize is how it actually... It's a payoff for just, like, filling your deck with garbage artifacts. Uh, you know, just... It's it's crazy. Just and you have welding charge, you have iron birds, you just have all these useless artifacts floating around. But the second you find a saga, make a five five, a six six, a seven seven, you know, grab an expedition map, chain them. Uh it, it was kinda crazy that you're allowed to run garbage now. So to round this out, I have twenty lands, uh, four limber void, one uh one island, one planes. Should be noted in my first iteration of this deck I totally forgot the basic lands. Uh, that was pretty Oops, brutal. Whoopsie. It happens. Be better than forgetting Oracle in your breach deck, though. Oh, Let man. Let me tell you. Uh, it's four Razor Tide Bridge. Uh, four. There's a Saga. Four Seacrum Coast and two Spire of Industry. So 20 lands in total. Four Bobble. Four Amber. One Tormod Script. Four Welding Jar. Three Dispatch. Four Esper Sentinel. Aether Spellbomb Expedition Map. Uh, Spring Leaf Drum. Pything Needle. Shadow Spear, four Arayo, four Canonist, kind of like the Canonist lock, uh, and Canonist and Esperantil and Welding Jar, you know, kind of taxes things, then four Emery, four Appeal, uh, and then, you know, why not? We have Gigantha as the companion. Uh, we can cast it off of two Spires, four Limmer Voids, and Springleaf Drum. Notably, Springleaf Drum can be found with Urza Saga, and I've not really ever had a problem casting Gigantha. Uh, so that was, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty cheesy, but I kind of love things like that when you get to, like, totally skirt the rules like this is absolutely not ooh, what wizards meant ooh, to do Elks, when ooh. they made giganta yeah <laughs> for, it for is those uninitiated uh, elks go home oh, oh, oh poor elk uh for those uninitiated can you uh, tell us what dispatch does because i think a lot of listeners probably have <laughs> no clue what this card is nobody remembers oh, yeah, their so... scars of mirrored in block limited so dispatch is one white uh Tap target creature, it's an instant. A metal craft, if you control three more artifacts, exile target creature. So it's like even better source to plash it if you have metal craft. And between the bridges and the sentinels, all your other nonsense, it's pretty easy to enable, you know, dispatch, have it up on like turn two or turn three, uh, which is, you know, I was very impressed with the card. And I think, you know, it's one of the things, you know, very good leaning into. I'm also, you know, a little bit more of a tangent. When Portable Hole comes out, I think Portable Hole will just, like, make these style of decks that much better, too. Because mm -hmm. now you're just, like, loaded with removal, and then you just win with Urza Saga. So I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, but so, you know, so this that's the list I took with the repeal, and then, yeah, with uh, with the repeals and Emery's and everything. I went 4-1 into 3-2. Uh, the deck, I really, I like the feel of it. It, you know, it feels like you're playing a bunch of underpowered jank, but you have Urza Saga to kind of tie everything together. Uh, canonist, I really you know. <laughs> Zach and I always have very different opinions on like a lot of parts of these decks, which I think is very fascinating. And you know, still haven't quite like definitely a playstyle thing, but there's probably a little bit more to it why we uh, disagree on some of the cards we like so much. Uh, but you know, I loved Esper Sentinel and Canonist and Welding Jar and Canonist plus Arayo is a hard lock. You know, sometimes you get these starts where it's turn one, you get to go Esper Sentinel into Welding Jar, then turn two uh, Canonist. Now you know, just like they're gonna be. You're going to tax the hell out of them uh, while they're just trying to, you know, kind of get up from under it. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, this, this this league really taught me that, A, I mean, you know, I can't really always go into these now, especially having played so much Araya. Araya is kind of the worst card in the deck. Uh, you know, you sideboarded out a lot too. 
Uh, but it's just such high variance, and the big issue I now I'm, I think the biggest issue with the Ryo is what happens after you draw it on. Like if you draw it after turn two or after turn three, it's just like totally. <laughs> you have a one-one flyer we, and sometimes you can get it to flip, but more often than not, you know you just draw it at the wrong time. It's just kind of a dead weight. Uh, the other thing is that Urza's Saga, one hell of a card. You know I think this is brewing with this is kind of like my first foray into how nuts of a card Urza's Saga is. I was actually facing an Esper Control opponent. And it was game three, and I boarded out my Arayo combo and everything. And I'm just like, you know, I'm staying, I'm pretty far ahead of them at this point. Like, with just with like decent draws, they messaged me, they're like, what the hell is your deck? Like, is that like blue white artifact control or something? And it's like, oh, you know, like, I don't really know what this deck uh, is. Like, I like the sound of that. It has blue white artifact control. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What yeah, it is. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, like I have Emery and Repeals, but I sideboard them out. He's like, oh, makes sense. Yeah. But they're like, oh, that makes sense. And so, yeah, so unfortunate uh, that, you know, that's kind of what it is. So I will then, you know, I turn it over to Zach, and Zach made some good uh, some good changes overall. I'll kind of get, I'll come back to Ryan in a little bit. Uh, but Zach kind of took the next iteration, and he, he was doing quite well with it. Well, no, I think uh, Brian actually had his hands on it before I did. I was actually in your chat while you were playing it. I think you were maybe um, a match or two behind where I was. We were playing roughly. Oh, really? The same okay. Time. I thought I thought you were at it earlier yeah. because I uh, I can see something in the notes here. You've got a well. I well, no. I mean, uh, Jiggy's yeah. got a Canon version here too. But I I don't. Were you just? Did you? So I had been brewing something a little bit different i hadn't started with arayo uh what i had started with was um uh i wanted to play an urza sort of ether sworn canonist uh deck so i had been playing a little bit of paper legacy and um there is a, a slew of blue white affinity style decks floating around legacy right now after uh, the print of thought monitor and um esper sentinel which are fantastic in legacy uh and urza's saga right. of yeah. course um and so i had been playing that in paper earlier in the week and then was like all right this deck is absolutely sweet most of these cards are modern legal and with the exception of some pretty important things such as uh ancient tomb and <laughs> um yeah pretty pretty big one uh and, and you the know, artifact lands, the actual factual uh, answers yeah. the battlefield untapped artifact lands yeah. So yeah, and, and Mox Opal, mm. and so uh, other than those cards, um, most of the deck was actually modern legal, uh, and so I, you know, I wanted to see if there was a way to port that over, um, and so what I did is I took a lot of the same concepts. I took the thought monitors. I took uh, Stone Coil Serpent, which uh, is actually pretty decent right now. Um, Ether Sworn Canonist, Esper Sentinel, Emery, and I added in, um, or uh, I guess Arcbound Ravager is also in the. Uh, in the, the legacy version, but I added in Urza and uh, a singleton um, animation module. And so animation module, Arcbound Ravager, and Urza forms uh, an infinite combo where you can make an infinite number of servos that you then continue to sacrifice to the Ravager. You basically make an infinitely large Ravager. Uh, so I'm running a single copy of Walking Ballista in here as well to have the sort of same turn kill. Um, and the nice thing about this is that it is a combo that doesn't utilize the graveyard li like the uh, Thopter Sword combo does. Um, it's a little bit more of an aggressive bend. Um, being able to move 
counters from Ravager to Canonist or some of these other creatures like Esper Sentinel is actually really nice. Growing the power on Sentinel is really nice as the game goes on because it taxes them more yep, heavily yep. as time goes on. Um, and protecting those Canonists by you know getting it up to a 4-4 four, four, or 5-5 five, five is pretty sweet. Um, so I had been messing with that sort of in tandem while Jiggy was working on the Arayo lists. Um, I didn't actually take that one through a league because that was like right around the time that I was returning home from uh, my my travels. So I think this is kind of a, a good point to get to. Uh, what were your opinions on Canonists? Because I know Zach and I had very different experience with Canonists. So I want to know what are your what are your thoughts having played Canonist main deck and especially having played it with Welding Jars. Uh, I like it. So my thinking is that it's actually a really hard card to evaluate because sometimes your opponent just doesn't have things to cast and sometimes it's actually preventing them from casting things. And without being able to see what's in their hand and know what their game plan is exactly, um, it's really, I think, difficult to evaluate how effective it's been. The thing that I noticed is that it is a lightning rod for removal. So... If I see that it's eating a lot of removal, that makes me think that it is effective in convincing people that it is a worthwhile threat. Um, and then anytime that somebody goes to try and remove it and I'm able to protect it with a welding jar or by moving counters around from an arcbound ravager, that makes me think that it's doing its job pretty well. And at the end of the day, if it eats a piece of removal and that means that Emery gets to live or um, you know Urza gets to live, I feel like it's doing its job. Um, and so that was sort of a lot of what I was expecting it to do is like you play it early and then, you know, your opponent gets to choose, do I remove the thing that keeps me from double spelling or do I remove the Emery? And they're in such a tough position because if they don't remove both of them, you're just going to play it again the following turn. Mm. Or they're going to be locked out of casting, you know, multiple spells a turn because they chose to remove the Emery. So... Yeah, I, I think that it just it adds enough complication to what the opponent's trying to do, unless they're also on an artifact plan, that <laughs> it felt pretty good to me. Yeah, that that's good. Yeah, it has happened to me. Like one of the first matches when I took out the deck was against Affinity and I just got absolutely trashed because they just you know, they do slightly bigger things and nice canonist nerd, you know, they did not care for it. I was like, Man, is this deck hopeless? You know, like what was I thinking? I just just I just brew a terrible deck. Then I four won that league. It's like okay, you know, like, there's <laughs> definitely something here, but just I was I was really disheartened because I just got so crushed by Affinity because Canonist absolutely not like my whole deck did nothing, but especially Canonist. So I guess uh, backing up a little bit, um, rather than taking my Arcbound Wurza sort of deck through a league, I did end up taking the uh, Arioless Arayo deck through league so you had mentioned that uh Araya was probably the worst card in the deck and um was worth cutting so what do we cut here we cut three arayos from your list and three repeals which ends up being a cut of five cards in most lists since you play the 61 cards and many of us only play 60 um <laughs> and so i replaced those with uh two thopter foundry one sword of the meek uh, one Underworld Cookbook, and then I went up a land. Um, and I kind of shifted some other things around. Where you were playing the Dispatch main, I chose to go with Prismatic Ending main. Um, and yeah, uh, so I ended up taking this to a 3-2. 
Uh, it actually could have been a 4-1, but I had a, a pretty bad beat. I had to mull to 5, and then I got stuck on one land for six turns in a row. Oof. Um, but, you know, so it goes. That's magic. Um, I lost to Is It Food, uh, and that was where the aforementioned mull happened. And I lost to Red Black Monkey Blade. I beat Bring to Light Valky Control, Luris Jund, and Mono Red Prowess. And um, overall, like you said, the deck was feeling really good. I was super happy with the addition of Thopter Foundry and Sword of the Meek. Um, I think that anything that's sort of like a, an army in a can is a really good uh, thing to be doing right now because of all the spot removal. Like, sure, go ahead, remove my Thopters. I'm going to just keep pumping out more. Um, against the Prowess matchup, that was entirely one on the back of the the thopter sword combo um even just making two or three thopters a turn is enough to really uh set them back um Mm -hmm. underworld cookbook did absolutely nothing for me and that would be my first cut i would probably look to replace it with some thought monitors um oh yeah thinking at the time is that maybe i would be able to rebuy an emery with it but it never came up and i ended up boarding it out almost every single match um, yeah, as I said before, I think it's kind of hard to get a sense of how impactful the canonist is. Um, but, you know, like you had said earlier, the combination of canonist and Esper Sentinel and Welding Jar is like a nice little trifecta that just puts a lot of pressure on them and, and forces them to have to make some hard decisions. And I think throwing Emery in that list as well makes it even harder, you know, because sure, they they remove the canonist or whatever, but then unless they also remove the Emery, you're just going to replay it the following turn anyway. And if you've got the Sentinel out, you're probably drawing a card off of it on top of everything. So that's just kind of the icing on the cake. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, this is a solid starting point. And like you've been saying, and I guess we've been saying the whole time, Urza's Saga is just a really good way to subsidize a bunch of these otherwise bad cards and you know, <laughs> turn them into threats. So, yeah, love love to subsidize bad cards. Probably my favorite feeling in Magic is winning with garbage. So Zach, how about you? You uh, you were playing your take on this uh, around the same time that I was. Like I yeah, said, yeah. So. Well, I, and I we, mean, and we got to start brawling about our card choices. Uh, well, a little bit. So, um, <laughs> well, it, what, first of all, I want you to know that uh, I was disappointed to come into this in the point of the process where I did, where you're, where Jiggy Wiggy the Arun Singh was like, yeah, you should probably cut the Arayo. And oh. yeah, so I got a deck that was called Arayo Control, Arayo Canonist Control, or something like that, and the Arayos were uh, were, were dispatched, uh, unfortunately. Ripping peppers. Um, so the first thing I did, I can't remember if it was the first thing I did. I want to say maybe, maybe I tinkered with that deck list, but the first thing I did, I, I put it in the show notes here with no link to this list because I do not recommend anyone plays this. This was a terrible idea. So at the beginning of the MH2 season, I was like, you know, it's really sweet now. We got, we got, we got all this cool artifact mid-range stuff. I want to play 80 card Urian, Urza, Ephemerate, Aether Vile, thing, with with Stoneforge Mystics and all the and the blackjack and the hookers, you know. Um, 
And so yesterday after losing out uh, in the challenge uh, 2-2 with Velomachus, I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. We got these 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 blue-white Arrayo decks to look into. I've recently played some blue-white, you know, artifact mid-range decks. Those were super fun. So let's let's go ahead and, and, and finally build this deck, this deck of my dreams thing. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I didn't really have a great plan for it. Some people were throwing out suggestions. Uh, th th this was terrible, just terrible. Um, but I got the monkey off my back. Um, is it possible to build a version of this deck that is more functional than this one? Probably. Uh, but my recommendation, don't build uh, 80 card Urza Urian Aethervile.deck. Um, there's probably a better way to build it than what I did. Um, almost definitely without the Aether Vials. Uh, and almost definitely without the Lurises. But uh, this, is not, this, this, this is not the look, friends. Um, yeah, and this is this is quite the list. Let me tell you. Although I totally agree, you know, just like sometimes you just I, have this itch I just, of you, yeah, like, I, I had to do you it. need to see if these cards. I had to do yeah, it. Like I was, it was just it's okay. It was there the whole time. Like ever since MH two came out, I was like, I want to play this deck. I gotta do it. It's it's I gotta it's gotta be not anywhere near as bad as it. No, it's worse than I thought it was. Um, so then, but all right. Once again, so, totally, totally okay. It's yeah. good to, very good to make mistakes and just get it out of your system, exactly. and, you know, to learn, like, why does this deck fail? It fails because, you know, you play Aether Vial, but it's not a very good Vial. It doesn't have very many creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, not enough, and not, and a lot of them don't care. That was the biggest problem, is, like, Emery costs three, but you don't need to play it for cheaper. Um, there is a version for the future that I'm working on that is playing Imperial Recruiter, um, because uh, mm -hmm. long ago it was noticed that Imperial Recruiter grabs almost everything from the artifact deck that you want, including Urza and Emery and Thoughtmonor and Stoneforge Mystic. I mean, Imperial Recruiter hits like your whole deck. It's crazy. Um, so I do have a brew that I'm working on, and I, I just need to get Mordekaiser's input on it um, for that one because uh, I just he's like the Imperial Recruiter master. And so Jeskai Urza Recruiter with Thopter Sword combo is definitely something that's coming up for the, for, the, for the future. And that may prove Spicy. to be like a, I like it. better list than this. Goblin Sweet. Engineer, let's go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I'm not unsold on that idea. Um, hey, all you need is one, right? You just you fetch it off the recruiter, play it to put the sword in the yeah, yard. Yeah, and we were, um, to, to that end, uh, the, the list I had going was playing Trophy Mage, because that can get you your uh, Thopter Foundry. Yeah, um, and you want your vial on three usually with the deck um, for the recruiters and 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 such, um, and then you could put in a psi. Psi fits perfectly with that whole thing. So anyway, uh, that that's for the future. So for now, so uh, so Jiggy sent me this Areo list and said, all right, the Areo is the worst card. So I think the list I got had closer to four Areos, four repeals, things like that. The other thing it had was four Mox Ambers and four welding jars um so i was like no 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 that's that's we're not this, i'm not about that um so i think i cut it right down to one welding jar and one mox amber um the artifact uh tutor package was like aether spell bomb and pithing needle and shadow spear and spring leaf drum i think that was what i shaved down to which gave me the room to put in a 4x thought monitor which i think is just one of the one of my favorite cards from mh2 um and I think I just put in three Urzas, one Teferi, one Lurus of the Dream Den. Um, I just wanted to try little splits of different things there. 
Um, was playing three Dispatch, four Prismatic Ending, four Stoneforge Mystic, four Esper Sentinel, four Emery. And then with... Uh, oh, yeah, so Stoneforge was the other thing that I added. Um, so... Oh, so sorry. Eh, I'm losing the thread of this. So the list I have here is the final version, but before that, I was playing Aethersworn Canonist. And mm -hmm. I think the first version I played was with the Canonists, with uh, no Urzas... Uh, but with Thought Monitor. So it was like, it was like blue-white affinity control, um, which was a pretty cool concept. And I think Thought Monitor added nicely to that. So I, I apologize if, if some of my rambling there ended up being kind of incoherent, but um, <laughs> the the first version did not have Stoneforge. The first version uh, uh, did still have the Aethersworn Canonist. But I found after a league that a Aethersworn Canonist was... It basically just didn't do anything for me at any point in any of the, in the any of the games I played, um, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying it was you know pointless, um, but uh, it just seemed to be super low impact. So uh, personally, I, I think uh, the version that I have posted here is the one I played yesterday. So. Just getting back to one one more clear overcap of the timeline is that uh, I played the Blue White Candidate's Control on stream on Friday. That video will be out by the time this podcast comes out. So you can check that out on YouTube. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. So that was the original version with the 4X Canonist, the very first overview. And then what I spun it into, which I would like to talk more about, is this Blue White Urza Finity Blade list. Um, and this one... Um, the, the, just spoiler alert, the, the one league I've played with it so far was a 1-4. Um, but it was an incredibly <laughs> uh, tilting 1-4. Uh, I 2-0'd the first matchup against uh, something kind of reasonable. And then I think I played against the Murderer's Row of, like, Blue-Red Murktide or Delver, Black-Red Luris, and then two of the Simic Merfolk deck in a row with 4X main deck Chalice of the Void. But every single one of those matches was a 1-2. The biggest problem I had with this deck was um, I went up to 22 lands um, to play the to support the four copies of Urza, three copies of Urza, four copies of Thought Monitor. And it 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 had the same problem that the blue-black cookbook decks have right now, the blue-black Esmora, Nomardic, Dice, and the Kuldakar decks, in that sometimes you just get stuck and and you die on like three lands, even though you've drawn a, a very reasonable number of cards. Um, so it was a little disheartening, um, but I think the deck is in a really, really good place. Um, the one thing I would mention is that Sword of Feast and Famine was really underperforming, um, and I don't like Luris in this deck much. Um, I know Jiggy is probably a bigger fan, and the one of Teferi in the main deck was fine. Um, I have some of the silver bullet stuff hanging out in the sideboard. Aethersworn Canonist out of the sideboard. Oh, the one matchup I won was against Infect. And Aethersworn Canonist out of the sideboard crushed them, uh, which was, which was cute. Um, Love to hear yeah. it. Yeah, and there, there are a number of decks in the format. Um, Ad Nauseam, Aethersworn Canonist is a good sideboard in. The problem is, so is Teferi. Um, oh, one of the... No, so one of the one-twos in that league was against Cascade Rhinos. Um, Aethersworn Canonist is okay, unless they play Shardless Agent, then they get the agent and the rhinos so unfortunately Aethersworn Canonist doesn't line up good well against that card though it does line up against violent outburst um the problem is all of their removal will kill it 
uh, the, the stomps, they can petty theft it, etc. So um, that's tough. But Esper Sentinel, Stoneforge Mystic, Emery, Urza, Thought Monitor, uh, and the white removal spells really formed a nice tight core in this deck. Um, mm-hmm. Dispatch was regularly quite good, but in this particular league, yeah, I had a couple problems with it um, from time to time. I think the dispatches will become portable holes when um, Inventors yep, yep. of Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. come out. Um, Prismatic Ending is just too good to pass up. Um, although I don't know if this deck in particular needs to have seven one-drop removal spells because your early game you're playing to the board so hard that maybe you don't. Now... That said, you can weave these removal spells into your early turns very effectively, so maybe they stay. I'm not I'm not 100% sold one direction or the other. I, I liked both some of the games where I had them, some of the games where I didn't. Um, and then one final note um, about this mana base. Uh, I love and hate this mana base. So we're playing four Razor Tide Bridge. <laughs> four Razor Tide Bridge is the ETB tapped indestructible artifact land. Um, which is great unless you do what I do, which is only draw either three of them or zero of them. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. Jiggy speaks very highly for Seachrome Coast, and I understand why your deck didn't have Urza in it, and it didn't have Thought Monitor in it. So can I confirm that you never played yep. these decks with any of those cards that I've just mentioned, the two? I played them with Thought okay. Monitor, and I thought it was fine. It was just Urza was yeah. the... I haven't played yeah. them with Urza, and I could imagine Urza being a huge yeah. issue. Well, and then and then the problem is playing Thought Monitor and Urza, you're just going to have a higher number of games where both of those cards uh, become trapped in your hand and become dead draws, and you're very close to being able to explode out and do crazy crap, but you just get held back by being sort of nickel and dimed off of your artifacts just enough for it to be horrible, um, which is where Dispatch becoming um, Portable Hole will be a big deal because it's an artifact that adds to your affinity count. Um, so... Um, the Seachrome Coasts were, ended up being a big, big problem for me. Um, I put in one Ikmoth Nexus, uh, the colorlessness of the land was never a problem, and, uh, the potential for it being a creature was, was, was reasonably worth the risk. Um, and I just want to give a big shout out to Spire of Industry and Glimmer Void. Uh, in this deck list, oh my god, Prismatic Ending and the sideboard Engineered Explosives being able to go up to four or five was a big deal multiple times. Yep. Um, so I really, really want to give you big props on that. Um, Glimmer Void is risky sometimes, but Spire of Industry needing to deal damage to you all the time is not, is also risky. Spire of Industry, though, on the flip side... <laughs> Spire of Industry on the flip side, though, any deck that I've ever played with Engineered Explosives, I love having access to colorless lands. This deck plays both Urza yep. Saga and um, the Spire of Industry. And for those who are not inundated with uh, modern interactions, being able to play your Engineered Explosives for X1 but zero colors means that you can blow up uh, Chalice of the Void, which is occasionally uh, inconvenient. Now, this deck is not so much on zero mana cards. Um, it's basically just the baubles, but sometimes you want to unlock your Emery being able to draw a card per turn. Um, sometimes you want to be able to blow up your opponent's Constructs, which they're protecting with their Chalice. Um, so I think that's everything major about this deck. There's a Cauldre Complete and a Batter Skull. I hate the card Cauldre Complete. Uh, I don't like playing it. I don't like um, being vulnerable in that way, but it's just too good not to. Um, but as I said, the Sword of Feast and Famine was less than great. I think I'd rather replace that with a Nettle Cyst in that it's a split function of being both a powerful creature. It's the same size as your sum total of artifacts. 
um, for three mana. And enchantments. Yeah, and enchantments. Not that we're playing any, but... Well, we're playing Urza Saga. Well, the Urza Sagas, yeah, yeah it, it's been relevant yeah, more than I yeah, expected. Actually, it probably is. So I think a Nettle Cyst is actually kind of a cool add for this deck because it means Stoneforge Mystic um, can get you something where if you're sure, basically, like if you play against any red deck, if you play Stoneforge Mystic on two, it's it's going to die, especially if they haven't played any removal spells so far. Getting Nettle Cyst can actually be a big kind of save um, rather than getting Cauldra Complete because then you get to have a three-drop reasonably large creature um, so um, any input any thoughts here guys yeah i so my experience with the mana base uh is similar to your own i actually in my version had cut down to three seacrum coast because that fourth was uh worrying me a little bit coming in tapped mm-hmm. um <laughs> and then just a note on the glimmer voids and spires i was all in i was like four glimmer void you know one or two spires uh, after getting totally blown out in that league by Hercules Recall yeah. and losing, you know, all of my mana, like literally had nothing on the field. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. they wiped my entire yeah. board. Uh, that was enough to convince me that going up on Spires and down on Glimmer Voids is probably the right call right, right now. To be, I mean, something to consider though is even if those were Spires, <laughs> are you still really going to survive yeah, that, a Hercules Recall with this deck? That was my deck? question too. I mean, like if you had nothing else, I don't know if you were rebuilding from that point. Like a lot of the things you had were probably tokens uh, that you you just you don't get those back. So, sure, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's situation dependent, right? Like yeah. uh, I was playing against um, the food deck when they Hercules recalled. And so they actually did a lot of damage to themselves by, by recalling a bunch of their own artifacts. Uh, it's, um, it is target player, right? It, it, so that is it. Yeah. yeah. So Unless they, they must've played rebuild. Rebuild. There you go. rebuild is all, uh, maybe it was rebuild then. I don't know. I, I, all I remember is that we were both in a similar position in terms of board presence, except they had three mana and I had literally nothing. Huh. And so setting me back three turns was much, much worse than if I still had that three mana and could have started to replay sure. things. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Hercules yeah. Recall is only target player, so it's it's one-sided. Uh, whereas the three mana <laughs> card rebuild, which was in uh, which was reprinted into modern in MH1 is uh, three mana. All the artifacts gets bounced, but it has cycling. So it has a sort of lower floor in, in like a control deck that's not playing artifacts. So uh, I guess they were playing that, which was probably a mistake. Yeah, that's not a mistake <laughs> if you're in a food yeah. deck. Yeah. Uh, Jake, you had something? Um, mm, unsure. I think, think I might have lost in that discussion. Oh, no, no, no worries. So yeah, um, I'm going to run this deck back, the, the one that I was talking about, the Urza Affinity Blade deck, with a, a few little changes. Um, every time I've played the Blue-Black Asmora food decks, I felt like if I played two Urzas, I never draw it. If I play three Urzas, I always draw two and I can't cast them. Um, which is just, it's tricky. Um, as, as I've mentioned before on stream, and maybe I mentioned before today, let me know if I did, guys. Uh, I love that blue-black Esmora food deck. Yeah, I did. But uh, this deck had the same problem of you're playing into a field of just, like, really powerful, very, very quick and effective hate. Like, the hate's coming down early. It's coming down hard. Um, getting sh- uh, Shattering Spreed out of the black-red deck is just not fun. Um, so 
this deck is is super super fun and it, it feels very close to being something that's like going to be really really good um but I, I need to massage some of the bits and pieces of it uh in order to feel a little more confident about it um the just like just tweaking you know uh, three more artifact count higher i think is really going to make a difference uh with uh, maybe taking out the dispatches for something uh, obviously i want to wait for portable hole but i i just want to see if i can maybe find something to uh to grease the wheels a little bit um mana issue yeah i really like or sometimes something so I, I would like to find something sort of in that middle ground yeah, I mean, I think what's going to happen is once we get Portable Hole, that Portable Hole is going to replace Dispatch main deck and then move the Dispatch to sideboard. Yeah. And between, with the extra artifacts, Portable Hole, Dispatch will be, like, always on by turn two, which is going to be insane. Mm. So if you win, you need to, like, you know, if you just need to have a turn one answer, you'll essentially probably have access to four hole, four uh, Portable Hole, then, like, three, three to four Disrupt and three to four Prismatic Ending. And, you know, now I think we're just getting very close to almost maybe even a mono-white, just like Artifact Taxes Control deck, huh. uh, which I'm very, you know, and then, you know, then you add Solidarity. Uh, maybe you don't even need Ephemerate, but you have Solidarity to... I just, I don't do think things. it would ever be correct to leave Emery out of a deck like that. I think that would be crazy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, multiple, I think it's, I agree that, you know, just, I think Emery would be nuts in these kind of shells, uh, but I think... You know, branching paths. I want to explore both the mono white version because in the mono white version gets solitude, which is you know also a very good card, and then also with the blue with Emery and some other artifact themes. Looking at the 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 white count in this deck, assuming that you swap the dispatches for um, portable hole, everything else as is, your white count is high enough to play solidarity because uh, the yeah. math on force of will. I remember the, the, the blue count from Legacy 16. 16 to 20, 21. 21 being, yeah. like, really where, like, you're, like, super comfortable. You never can't pitch to it. And 16 being, like, the kind of absolute floor. Um, plus the Solitude's pissed to each other. So assuming you cut non-white cards for them, yeah, you could be in a good spot here. Um, yeah, and the, the one thing with Solitude is you do lose access to Gigantha's side, which, you know, it is... I, I don't it's have just nice Gigantha's having that side. Eighth I'm extra playing card. Urza. As soon as as soon oh, yeah, as this deck was true. in my hands, um, the first version of it, and again, that's the one that's going to be on my YouTube, is playing Thought Monitor and respects the Gigantha sideboard. And as soon as we had gotten a little bit further away from that, and I was like, okay, I'm going to cut these Aether's Horn Canonists. I'm going to play this like in a way that I think makes the most sense for me. Um, I brought in Urza's and I kicked out the Gigantha because boo, boo, Elemental Elk, boo. Gigantha was relevant for me in my league. I cast it a lot more than I expected. It's not. It also it's not about a lot relevant. more than I expected. It's about the fact that it yeah. offends me. I am offended by Gigantha. Yeah, Zach. Zach loves. Zach loves to take things personally, which I definitely respect. And he has taken Gigantha <laughs> personally. I, no, it's just that everyone is just using Gigantha as a colossipede, and I'm offended by that. I want to respect the beautiful no, element, except for Niv-Mizzet. Okay, there were some Niv-Mizzet builds that played <laughs> Gigantha honestly. They were like, I'm going to play no, this no, no. card, and I have many multicolored cards in my deck. I can tap Gigantha for mana, add one of every color, use that mana on a Niv-Mizzet, or a Bring to Light, or a, a Vindicate, and a, and a Renin Six, or a, like... That was like the one, but everyone else is just like, y'all, Colossipede. 
My number one reason for Giganta is Blood Moon insurance. I've had so many people Blood Moon me, and it's yeah. just like grab Giganta plate. Like, and sometimes the Blood Moon hurts them more than it hurts you because they don't realize you just grabbed Giganta. It's I love it. Yeah, it's like yeah. screw you for trying to be an asshole with your Blood Moon. Like eat it. Yeah. No, and, and I'm not. I've never. I've never been the person who's been saying Giganta is a bad choice. I'm saying it's something that I just don't approve of. Like I just. I would never be happy playing a deck that had Giganta in it that wasn't like able to activate it for the the ability because i like the companions from ikoria like yes they were all kinds of busted blah 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 and yes luris is still kind of a problem in modern i like i i, I see all the reality of it but just like mentally like lutri and urian are fun things to build around and play with like period and yes, and i agree like, lutri is way too weak now with the new companion rules but like they're just they're cool ideas. Like Obosh is awesome. Obosh is such a cool card in modern right now. Like it's just right. It's it's in a few decks and it's not super castable in them, but when the game goes long, they get a little bit extra access to it and the the decks that are able to maximize that are actually quite reasonably competitive, you know? That's awesome. Uh Urian does good work in um uh Naya or Naya based tutor package decks um, because expanding to 80 cards actually reduces the impact of some of your low, um, low impact sideboard bullets that you play in your main deck. You know, your Magus of the moon, you're less likely to draw it when you run into a mono red deck in game one, and then you can board it out. But if you wanted to tutor for it because you ran into Tron, it's still in your main deck. Um, like that, that's a cool thing that Uriah lets those decks do. Um, Jigantha just annoys me for that reason. That's it. That's all. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of tuning and massaging to do with a deck like this because the numbers are quite close to being very, very reasonable. Um, but I want at least one reasonable league under my, under my belt before I actually recommend it to anyone. All I can say is I had a lot of fun playing it and I, I think it might be pretty good if you want to play something that's in this vein. Um, check out the YouTube video for the non-Stoneblade version that's playing Aethersworn Canonist. And to your credit, Jiggy, maybe today I'll try uh, taking out the dispatches for some Aethersworn Canonist or some other artifact creature because I, I just thought Monitor just needs a little help getting onto the battlefield mm, sometimes. I like this. Um, I like I like that idea a lot. Yeah, maybe one more Springleaf so, Drum something. Uh, I actually, in spite of its poor performance in the deck that I ran, I actually do really like the cookbook, especially with Urza and Emery, because when you accidentally mill one of those Urzas, the cookbook can bring it out of the yard. Um, similarly, it means that you can pitch a thought monitor early. You get that artifact to add to the, the count. And then when you play Emery later, you can just cast that Thought Monitor out of the yard. Yeah. So I, I think when you're playing a little bit mm. higher up on the curve, the cookbook gets a lot, a lot yeah, better. Yeah, I, I, like I liked them before in, a, in, in the Teamer decks we would play right at the beginning of MH2. Those have been really outclassed by all the you know better versions of everything that's been found. But uh, yeah, you may be, and I like Cookbook as a one of because it's sagaable. You can you can fetch it, mm -hmm. and so if you're yep. in a mid to late game sort of like high resource fight, um, being able to go tutor a Cookbook to pick up an Urza to put an Urza back into play, and then once the Cookbook's in the in the engine, you, you have Emery's to replay it because that was the thing we found yep. in the Teamer deck. I, I think, you know, I think we were we were probably pretty cutting edge 
without realizing it. Obviously, we didn't, you know, spin that deck into what the, the blue-black food deck became. We, we didn't have the idea of teaming that up with Esmora, but we did find uh, that Emery plus Cookbook plus Urza was a big deal, and we didn't have the Oval Chase, mm-hmm. Daredevil, and uh, Esmora sort of forethought on that. Um, and someone did bring this up, and it would be remiss of me to mention that... Um, some people were saying like, "Oh, what about like Asmora Cookbook into this deck?" And then like, in my mind, I'm like, "Okay, then you got to play the Oval Chase because I couldn't not with Cookbook. Like, it's just it's yeah. just not yep, good yep, enough." Yeah. That's a lot of slots. That's like eleven slots in your deck. And on top mm-hmm. of that, um, then you also probably want to play some Street Wraiths, so you make sure that your Asmoras don't get stuck in your hand. So that's like thirteen to sixteen slots. It's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of space. Um, so I don't know if that's possible. Um, it, it's a, it's a great idea, but like the, um, Valakut in Velimachus deck, it's like, oh, you're playing all mountains. It's so close. And it's like, well, the more you start thinking about it, it's like, it's really not that close at all. It just, it, it doesn't actually yeah. do what you want it to do. So I'm willing to entertain the idea, but I would need to really sit down and start banging that out. And maybe, maybe what you do if you wanted to do that was take out all the dispatch, all the prismatic endings. That's seven slots. You can maybe trim down on this, that, and the other. And maybe you end up in a place where you're playing sort of Esper as Mora Stoneblade food. Um, I mean, which sounds crazy. That's a lot of squeezing. I mean, yeah. it's not as much. Like, as, how, how much? It's not as much as it looks. How much like, juice right? are you going to get out of that? But then, so that now you have Asmar's interaction as opposed to prismatic yeah. ending, which you know is going to be slower, and you're probably going to eat alive by prowess because prowess loves to eat you alive when you don't do anything. Well, yes and no. I actually think the food decks is, are one of the best things you can be playing against Prowess. If you've, I don't know if you've played that matchup, but for the food deck in game one, it's like all you have to do is judiciously deploy your Esmora. So like, you make sure that you, you get two to four to six foods in play first, which is, it sounds crazy, but like these are the, these are the mulligans you're looking for. These are the hands you're looking for with that deck um, where you can have a cookbook oval chase going. And uh, you just play your Asmora where you can immediately remove one or two creatures. Then they have to kill it, which is taking resources from them. So the Prowess deck actually, I think, doesn't have a great time against the food deck. I'm sure they can win, but in my experience, it's been a pretty good matchup for the food deck. It feels quite favored. Huh. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I def- you know, I, I defer to your judgment. I just I just get crushed by prowess all the time. Even when I'm interacting, it's like, how can you, like, how do these yeah. decks do well, it? Well, it's, it's just that having the creature deal six damage to itself. Mutagenic growth doesn't save them. Like, that's it's a big deal. And if you look at the prowess decks, they're not playing as many mutagenic growths, or they don't seem to be uh, pushing them out as, as aggressively anymore. So um, I'm just saying, like, this deck, like, if you say, uh, I think the cuts would be probably Dispatch, Prismatic Ending, and Esper Sentinel. And that's like 11 cards. And then you could probably find a couple more slots. It, it, I'm not, it's not impossible. But then the mana gets really uh, finicky because you're playing a bunch of colorless lands. So and anyway, it's uh, maybe I'll see if I can make the numbers work because uh, it's just maybe fun to look at it on paper to get to play Asmora and Stoneforge and Emery and Thought Monitor. Um, maybe we'll even uh, stick in some uh, Dacon, uh, the, the Planeswalker. Ooh. So... So something I was actually kind of, you know, building on this, uh, I really enjoyed this, like, you know, blue-white kind of taxes, artifact-style shell 
Tidehollow Sculler has kind of come to my mind as another artifact in the very heavy artifact deck. Mm. Uh, you know, it also it plays well with Welding Jar, uh, plays extra well with Canonist and uh, even the uh, even Sentinel. Uh, you know, the mana base might be a little hard to make to go. Esprit might have to go crazy and do something just like the the golden, the fabled golden mana base that I first heard Dan from uh, Faithless Brewing talk about. That's like four Reflecting Pool, four Limb Void, four Spire Industry, you know, four Mana Confluence. Just like, man, not probably for City Breath, like find something else mm. that kind of gets, you know, just like all your Rainbow Lands. Then, because uh, you don't really need Pet Lands for these things. Uh, and then, you know, and then you have access to Sculler and. And yeah, you have access to Skuller Emery, you know, maybe go up on drums because turn one drum, turn two Skuller into Emery is like a pretty sick play. You just kind of go off to the races. So this has been something that I've been thinking about. And I might, I'm, I might try this too. I, I like this idea. Yeah, actually, you know what? As long as you're kind of careful on pips, um, I think the the mana base we have here. I mean, you just, like as long as your your permanent count is good, you can go for Glimmer Void for Spire of Industry, and like the the things that are gonna blow you out are gonna blow you out. Like you you are already kind of yeah. gonna lose to some of the cards that are hosers. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, let's 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 take a look at these uh, in between now and the next stream. Maybe we'll have some tweets on the Serum Visions podcast. Uh, uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, there are occasionally updates that happen in between episodes of different things that we're working on because. Uh, Maybe Esper is a good way to go with this and uh, and play the Tide Hollow Skullers as uh... Dacon's been pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, I yeah I've been messing like... with uh, uh, an Esper reshape Urza brew that looks to reshape into Soul Talisman or one of the artifact lands. Well, and so you can play Dacon on three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. you can play Dacon on three if you reshape it in into an artifact land on two. You've now got four mana on turn three, so Dakon comes down, can minus, and not immediately go to the graveyard. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I actually had a really tragic... Uh, I, I lost a match in a league where um, I had a, an ensnaring bridge out. They had, you know, um, lethal on board. They shattering spreed, or uh, uh, shatterstormed me. Um, so I lost all of my stuff, Uh and next turn, I managed to bring out Dakon. I top decked a Dakon, and I had eight lands, so I got to immediately down tick to bring the um, yep. ensnaring bridge back. I was at one life, and they had lethal still. Uh, and then I passed turn, and they shattering spreed again. Oh no! At least you yeah. tried. I do. I do I love got... the idea of Dakon, though. I think that could be a really cool addition to this shell. Surveil two is no joke. It's oh yeah, it's a really great uptick. I mean, honestly, if Laz I wish Lazav had Surveil 2. Why can't Wizards please errata Lazav give him give them Surveil 2 instead of Surveil 1? That would be amazing. Yep. Yeah. Well, so we've definitely got a bunch of stuff going on there. Um, well, eh. one, one last thing I want to touch up please? on is so I've been, uh, you know, messing with Arayo, and there's still part of me every time I want to cut Arayo, but how, you know, if we really want to make Arayo work, how do we do it? Uh, and, you know, once again, even though I've been trying a whole bunch of shells, some have been more successful than others. Just messing, starting to mess with the blue-white thing to the, the blue-white, you know, kind of saga deck just let me to testing saga a bunch in general and let me realize that, you know, kind of, I think we're going to keep stressing this, that saga subsidizes your terrible artifacts that you put in your terrible decks. Uh, and what deck is filled with terrible artifacts is uh, Kinnan, uh, Kinnan Arayo, uh, the Karn, the 
uh, current prison deck that we had previously that had Uro and losing, you know, I've messed with this here and there and losing Uro is, of course, a huge part of it. Uh, it's crazy just how good Uro was, especially the hedging uh, against the aggro decks. But, you know, that we now have four free spots because of Uro. What if we just throw Saga in, you know, like Saga goes well with Spring Leap Drum and it's kind of just all your, you know, all your terrible cards. So for this one, I have 23 lands, uh, blue-green, uh, essentially say blue-green, fetches, etc. Uh, uh, Minamo, of course, because we love Minamo. Uh, 3 EE, 3 Amber, 4 Bobble, 3 Stirrings. Yeah, stirrings is also cool because Stirrings can find Karn, but Stirrings can also find Urza Saga. And oftentimes you just want to find that Saga and get it down and just start making constructs. Especially Amber. if you can... Yeah, yeah, find the Mox Amber too. The thing I've noticed is, you know, if if at any point you can go Saga, like if you like turn 3 or turn 4, you go Saga, then the next turn you go Saga, the game is pretty much over. You're just going to get five constructs out of nowhere, and it's it's just insane how that works. Yeah, uh, so I was trying to point this string out earlier, and it, it looks really impressive. Because um, I remember yeah, playing I was, these, and I... Uh, this looks... I don't know how, but it looks better than it did the, the last couple times I played it. And maybe it was... The first time I played it, it had Uro. I think the second time I played it, it oh, didn't. Yeah. And it was just like super lackluster. But now with Saga, it's yeah, like it was... when, you're, when your plan falls apart and they kill your Areo, you're like, well, wait a minute. I still have a backup plan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And then so we have uh, Aether Spell Bomb, Brainstone, Pything Needle, uh, Two Drum, and then a Shadow Spear, Four Arayo, Four Kinnon, Four Emery, Three Karn, and Four Appeal, and then Gigantic Companion and just a Wishboard with Three Veil of Summers. And so I took this into a league, and I actually wound up going 3-2. Uh, I beat Blue-Red Prowess and Red-Red Prowess, uh, and then I also beat Red-Black Monkey Midrange, and, like, all those actually felt, like, fine, you know, just, like, it was good gameplay, and my I didn't feel disadvantaged. It was pretty nutty, because I'm playing a whole bunch of garbage cards, but once again, uh, Urza Saga to the rescue. Uh, and then I lost to Amulet, and I lost to uh, a nut draw from uh, Blue-Red, Delverless Delver. But it felt really you know honestly it felt really strong and i you know having messed with orion and the blue white shell it didn't flip so often but spring leaf drum kinnon's a crazy magic card yeah. you know i kind of i we forget oftentimes especially without uro now but getting kinnon down and having it like access to a drum and an amber you're like all right i have like seven mana this turn it's, it was especially if you have like a with emery too just there's a amber in the graveyard i was actually able to uh, grab Gigantha and slam it on the same turn, which felt pretty good. Nice. Uh, it, there was, you know, also, I don't, don't quite know why, I haven't quite been able to explain this yet, but flipping Arayo, so it was much easier, but also seemed much more relevant. You know, uh, don't really quite know how to explain that, but just every time Arayo was flipped, you know, it was pretty easy for me, uh, and it was pretty strong. There was one where I actually wound up flipping a turn three against Blue or Delver Delver, and I still lost because I flooded out, and they drew, like, the perfects. Uh, but also... You know, Flipped Arayo is not as good anymore with all this hype progression, uh, but it, you know, it's a very fun, very neat card. So the two things I want to try here uh, is I want to try kind of focusing more on Brainstone. You know, I think I have one as a target, but with all the extra amp mana you get from Kinnon and Moxes and uh, Springleaf Drums and also, uh, you know, Brainstone being able to solve that problem of what happens if we draw Arayo after turn two or three, you just shuffle it back in or, you know, maybe... You brainstone and it gets you the two free artifacts you need to flip in Ryo turn four, which you wouldn't have had previously. And honestly, even flipping Ryo turn four is like pretty solid. You know, now all your spells are uncounterable if they're a control deck, and anyways, they're just going to be a huge pain in their ass for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so that 
that works really well. So that, that's you know step one. Uh, I want to try leaning more, leaning more on brainstone. The other thing is, as you always get at these Arayo decks, you put on your inner Zach voice. What if we cut the bad cards, uh, which are Arayo and repeal, and added good cards, uh, which you know in <laughs> Jiggy Wiggy fashion would be Ren and Six and the Monkey Friend. Uh, and go for like a Temer list where you're, you know, just you're still a Saga deck and you've got Karn and Kinnan for kind of your ramp, and then you're just playing better cards like Ren and Six. I've always really liked Ren and Six as an Amber Enabler, but also, you know, just you need to, if you're going to use Ren and Six as your primary goal is just to hit your land drops, you need to have a payoff in order to get somewhere. And that's why Niv is so good with Ren and Six, is once you hit five lands, you're going to draw six cards and play a 6 6. Uh, so, like, if you're. Ren and Six doesn't work super well in like the Luris decks because you know you don't really have much of a payoff. I uh, don't have too many mana sinks, but in this case too, Karn is also an excellent mana sink. Uh, so adding Ren and Six and Karn, you know, like Karn keeps taking Karn, uh, you just keep getting hitting your land drops, and Karn can get bigger and bigger targets. So those are the two lists I'm gonna try and uh, things to mess with. But you know, I'm pretty pretty excited about Saga. I didn't realize that this is you know it does feel a lot like Mox Opal for me where. You can build a terrible art of monoret artifact decking, throw in four Mox Opal, and you can like three one or four all your F and M, and you know like maybe like even five O League if you get lucky. But Saga is the same thing where you can take a garbage deck that would probably be unplayable. You can add four Sagas, and now you've got like an interesting deck. You know uh, the the most hilarious thing to me is that if you were to ban Shadow Spear, Urza Saga would lose like eighty five percent of its playability except for Amulet Titan. And you know, and I think a few other ones who still played for the tutoring, but just Shadow Spear has won me so many games. Yeah. It's like if if I didn't have access to Shadow Spear, I don't quite know what I, you know, Saga would be significantly worse than most of these it decks. It is the unsung hero of these decks for the most part. It is probably my most tutored card uh, out of the whole oh, yeah. package. I mean, it's it's just crazy. Um, I'm really excited for this blue green deck. I might even boot this up today. Um, uh, small reminder to people. Um, or I don't even know if a reminder, but spoiler for if you ever do register the card repeal in Modern right now. Um, College of Complete is your friend. College of Complete is just a big, <laughs> beautiful four-mana waste of time for your opponent. Because they, they spent all this time and energy getting the seven-mana artifact. And you just go one mana, remove your germ draw card. Which is just great. Yeah. And with all the constructs running around, just generally... Also great. Bounces Asmore and Amartika Dyson to cool the car. One mana. Get out of here. Um, even if they have an Oval Chase Daredevil in the cookbook thing, which is like, that's fine. We'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, it's. I do want to say I've, I have repealed a Caldra Complete in three different games, and I have won those alter games. I've never lost a game in which I've resolved repeal on a Caldra Complete. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You are rocking a 11-card yeah. toolbox in your sideboard here. And my concern is I don't see our good friend Tobago Sphere, the Trinosphere. Um, oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> my these wishboards, I think they're always yeah. just way too optimistic. Sure, sure, sure. I, I just, uh, just hate the sideboard. You don't need yeah, you're, you're Dark right. Steel Citadel in this list. You're playing 23 main deck lands, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. usually and a, then also, honestly, usually a trick I pull out for like a sixteen card red prison deck, where like you ritual out your card and you're like, hmm, I have two lands. Uh, I would like to draw yeah. a land, please. True, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> true. Yeah, okay, I, I like that sure, change. Sure. But yeah, I mean, but dude, I'm excited to try this... this out because I actually think that one of the things you've you've hit on and Ireo here is is great um, is that it slows your opponent down, but 
you have the backup plan of Karn, Emery, Urza's Saga. And between these three things, they've got three, like, sort of high-priority things, like, really devastating things they have to deal with. Plus, Karn is super well-situated in the meta. It's like everyone is yep. playing mm -hmm. Mistress Bobble, if they're not even heavier. <laughs> so if you can get it out at a reasonable pace, there's a lot of games that just get shut down. Um, so... I, ooh, this this looks good because I played um, a, a red green prison deck last night off stream that someone sort of encouraged me to dig up, and uh, it was super impressive. I beat every big meta deck I played against because Karn plus Blood Moon plus Chalice just wrecked them, and I, I feel like you've sort of hit on a balance of things that are looking real nice here. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 very excited for you to take this out because it does. You know, I think I kind of forgot that. Kinnan just allows for these explosive things where you just vomit out your hand on the board and feels good, honestly. It feels good to be like turn two and have just like six permanents on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I am gonna take this and put some really bad cards in. Maybe a, maybe a Chatterstorm. Just, no. just a single chattel storm, Chatterstorm or, uh, or the Ooze. At, the, at least, the at least do Trasta. At least don't do a Sturdy and at least put Oh, Trasta, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually on Brian's side on this one. I, I think Chatterstorm is probably super inconvenient for a few different decks in the format. So, um, And I just don't like Thrasta. Thrasta just, just makes me upset -y. I don't know why. I can't, I would... can't really... I think it's the fact that it, it, it just stops... You're like, I've played four spells. Now I've played five spells. Now I've played 12 spells. Yeah, I'm still GG. I don't, I don't... Like, it doesn't come in with, like, a plus one, plus one counter for each card you've played or anything like that. Like, you just... It just hits the ceiling, and it's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not... You're you're telling me it's more expensive and also worse than Merktide region, yeah. Zach? I don't know if I believe <laughs> what you. What is that? It, and it, it com it's a 7-7. Seven, seven. The Merktide region could come in as an 8-8. Eight, eight. <laughs> yeah. It frequently does come I in as an 8-8. Like, not cool. Yeah, and it I, keeps Hexproof only for the first turn? Come on. Come on. What? And you can't... It's yeah, legendary. What, why can't I have multiple of them? Yeah, ooze, ooze. I like the ooze. Uh, ooze yeah, is it. We want the ooze. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you have, if you have Storm 5, it's like 18 power or something yeah, hilarious. Yeah, but, but it is Well, and it's spreading out a lot of bodies. Right. Yeah, but I'm. Yeah, but that's it's, true. You, it's, uh, this deck is. Deck. Yeah. No, I'm saying that's it's, why Chatterstorm I've, was a smart add because it's the same mana cost as Ereo. So it's like your deck right. is built to do what Brian is putting in a card to do with it. Whereas the, the yeah, ooze, you're exactly. going to have to wait longer and that may be disastrous. Whereas, like, one of the great things about Ereo in a deck like this is you can do it on turn two, which is bonkers. And it's it's really not magical christmas land to imagine it you you have intelligently constructed this there are 10 zero mana artifacts kinnon makes the mox amber produce two mana and repeal loops one of these like there, there's so many combinations of cards here where you can turn to flip an arrow so it, it's like this is not a magical christmas land deck and so i think brian having the thing of like well what if i don't have an arrow but i add a fifth and sixth card that are like okay put six squirrels into play even five squirrels into oh play. oh oh okay so something that i need to add i think this is actually huge for the deck i didn't realize until looking at the deck list that with karn i added a cruise of worlds yes. to yes. the wishboard oh yeah and like this oh, yeah. is insane because the biggest problem with karn you have is like you down you drop him 
and you you know you need to grab something to get value but they might have a lightning bolt or whatever and so like now you just drop it down and you tutor for crucible and if they kill your car and you still get a crucible now you just start playing the saga out of your graveyard yeah yeah agreed mm -hmm, agreed mm -hmm. that's that's uh definitely very very good is this a ketria triumph in your list yeah you, for ee you maniac i love you i mean i think you're the i just, I, this was the la I always, you know, kind of save a base template for most of these shells, and I'll go back and I'll look and see how we can change them. And I guess this base template must have at one point had Shaku, uh, on or on a worn Shaku in it, <laughs> uh, because all I had a whole bunch of just like random legendary lands like Pendlehaven and Obero and the green one Okinet with the grandfathers, because yeah. those help with uh, honor bound Shaku, uh, which reads it's three mana uh, for an artifact tapped to add a colorless, but tap an untapped legendary permanent you control to untap it so actually with kin and like legendary lands and like other things and planeswalk it actually like kind of gets pretty silly you know like it's i don't i don't i've never made it actually worth it because you know it's it's not easy to make work but it is just hilarious on as a concept and so the mana base is all messed up and so i would probably fix that and add more fetches shocks and honestly we could you know i'm so greedy i would love to fit ren and six in this deck uh, I mean, it's not impossible to add another color to this deck. Like, uh, I think I'm going to try a straight blue-green just because uh, I like the way that that usually keeps your life total pretty comfy. And Ren and Six yep, is... Yep. I mean, I love Ren and Six and Urza Saga. Um, so maybe this is the new Ren and Six Urza Saga Karn deck that my heart is screaming for. Uh, I know, right? Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Maybe. Oh, maybe. yeah. Um, <laughs> Ren 6 doesn't play so good with the Areo stuff, so I'm going to try it as is, and then maybe uh, uh, with the with the feeling from that one, I'll try a, a team aversion. But I'm excited to look at this one. This, 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 uh, we got, we got some stuff to work on here. Um, so just looping back a little bit around, um, the new artifacts. There are lots of wonderful new artifacts. We are uh, well known, I think, for having a, a deep love for artifacts. Uh, and I think I, I I would like to welcome uh, my my good boy Thought Monitor to the club of modern playable <laughs> artifacts that are just way they, they, they this card feels way too good to play with. It's not okay. It's so good. Uh, it's and and uh, I was trying to. But it's hard. It's hard to make it work. Is hard That's to make the thing, work. you know. Like it's it such is. a good card, but it's not free. No, like it's, I don't it's think well it's even designed. remotely close to busted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Here, here. And then um, it, it has truly replaced, in my opinion, seasoned pyromancer as being the god king of cards. Where every time you play it, you definitely draw a second one. Every single time. Every time. Swear mm -hmm. to God. I, I don't know how they do it, but every thought monitor you play puts another thought monitor in your hand. I have a screenshot somewhere where I had four thought monitors in play on turn four or five. It was nuts. Nice. It was nuts. Oh, so Squad's good. It's all here. Um, we also have some nice notes here. I think Brian did these because he does most of our good uh, work here. Uh, yeah, uh, Esper Sentinel. Uh, I have been under, under, underwhelmed with Esper Sentinel in a few decks, but, but recently... Getting a, getting a little bit more faith, faith, faith. Um, those were early in the season, and as things have gotten more efficient, your opponents seem to be more likely to let you draw cards with it. And um, it's it's been just doing great work. Um, it's it's kind of cool because it's like a low... It's not as important as some of your more important cards. They always want to kill the other ones, but then it's just constantly needling their mana. And if you ever get two of them, or if you ever increase the power of Sentinel, like even by one, 
it's it really gets hard to manage. Yeah, I really like that it is actually a, a quite a polarizing card. So against something like humans, yeah, zero. Right, like this is just stone cold dead, yeah. right? It's a one one for one. And uh, that makes sideboarding really easy. Oftentimes <laughs> the hardest part about sideboarding is not figuring out what to bring yeah. in, but what you want to take yeah. out. And having a card that is so polarized means that like my first four cuts were often, okay, Esper Sentinel is just dead in this game yeah. or in this or match. Dispatch, so or, out they go. You know, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I actually think that's great. And uh, I like that it isn't just super powerful right like it would be very easy for them to have pushed this a little too hard made it a little too good and then it becomes this auto include and uh, i think that it's at a really healthy power level yeah and then um, um, you had a brief mention of the power of thopter sword uh, i haven't played with thopter sword basically since the uh, set dropped but i am definitely feeling like it's something that i do want to try um the the one concern is you know uh i think it's not a great place to be against the black red luris deck in general you know they're, they're playing enough shatter effects in the main mm -hmm. they're playing even more in the side they play main deck dothy voidwalker um but that so the voidwalker is a problem yeah. but the the shatter effects i actually don't think are a huge problem they're going to go for the the foundry itself right which yeah that sucks but you usually get uh a thopter out of it in response right you sacrifice itself to itself um the thing about it is when you know that you're going to be going up against these shatter effects it means that you can deploy two things and start to build your army out of it and that was really what kept me in some of these games against the black red luris deck um and against some of these other decks like mono red prowess that had a lot of shatter effects because i knew that i i didn't want to commit everything to the board um, and so I was able to, to just keep building, keep building, keep building. And then they're forced to use their like one or two artifact removal spells on this. And in the meantime, I'm like drawing into an additional one or, I'm you know, I've got a handful of other good stuff that I can start to deploy once they've spent their, their shatter effects. Um, Thopter, Thopter and then is also best friends with Urza Saga, right? Like that's crazy. It's yeah, really, really it's, good. Yeah. So, uh, there's definitely, definitely some serious potential for, for that. And, if you can get it going, let's say they do draw artifact removal, but you get like two turns of making Thopters, it's going to be a long time for them to get through that, and you might have time to rebuild mm -hmm. uh, afterwards. So yeah, it definitely has potential. Yeah, I uh, I like it a lot. You know, just you kind of forget. I I kind of want, actually want to play the combo more because I I have not played with it too much and don't you know haven't played with it in a while. But do you remember just. Like you said, you know, being able to get a body and a life for each one mana is just nuts, especially against these prowess decks. They're so good at just stalling them. Like the red, the one, the only, <laughs> the only saving grace for our new blue-red uh, Overlords of Terror is that their stuff doesn't really trample. So if you can just find a way to wall off the sky, you, you're okay for yep. the most part. Yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, we get so caught up in the Urza Thopter Sword combo because it's infinite that we forget how powerful just Thopter and yep. Sword on its yep, own yep. really is. Yeah, that's you know, that's I think that's something that a lot of people just you know, and even myself included, you know, just didn't really think about or don't really think about is that you don't need you know, like Thopter Thopter Sword was still banned in modern before Urza was a thing, mm -hmm. uh, and then mm -hmm. Urza came and then <laughs> it was unbanned actually well before that, but. Yeah, definitely. I, I like that a lot, and you know maybe there's a way to kind of mess with that more. Well, and one 
final fun little piece is that um, Esper Sentinel picks up a Sword of the Meek out of the bin. Uh, it which does. Which was actually relevant. I milled I one with an Emery, played it, yeah, played the Esper Sentinel, and it triggered the sword. And I was like, oh, well, this is just lovely. Yep. I now have a 2 3 Esper Sentinel. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that sign sign me up. Sign me up for jank on jank on jank. Yeah. Fun fun <laughs> fact, uh I was on a cruise ship contract when Modern Horizons one came out. So I had to watch all of Hogak Summer um at a distance. And uh I owned uh blue black Thopter were um which was like a four X ensnaring bridge deck that existed before Urza came out. And I watched Urza come out and, and all, all of the fireworks going on. And it actually prompted me to sell my Mox Opals three weeks before they got banned. Because I was like, this nice. deck seems not okay. Um, <laughs> and it turned out that it was the, the Oko deck that was that was actually going to come out shortly afterwards. But I, I, it was just one of those funny moments where I was like, hmm, I have played this deck for a long time, but that deck looks not okay. And... Uh, Th- thank you, yeah. thank you, Blue Black Thopter Sword, for teaching me how good that deck was before Urza, and then <laughs> saving my Mox Opal value. I mean, can you imagine Mox Opal along with like Urza Saga? Like that would be absolutely sickening. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah, the, since with Saga in the format, there is no way in hell that they can nor should unban Opal. As much as no. it kills me to say, because I love Opal and I would be a fan of this degeneracy. Uh, that that would be it would be awful it would be a terrible 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 gameplay yeah ha- having played the legacy deck that is very close to modern <laughs> legal i can confirm it would be pretty degen yeah and and um if it came down to it my preference is, is always to play more fair um so jig just point blank I would prefer to keep Urza Saga over Mox Opal, but if anyone ever gave you the the Sophie's choice, which which one would you keep? Oh jeez, man, you're killing me. Uh, honestly, I'm a D-Gen, I gotta say Opal, sure. but I do. It's a it's a hard one, you know. Like I don't I don't believe there's a wrong there's a right answer nor a wrong yeah. one. Brian, you want to be a tiebreaker on this, or do you prefer to abs- abstain <laughs> and say well, like uh, I want to unban the, the bridge from below? <laughs> uh. <laughs> It okay. So so on the one hand, I would love Opal to relive the glory days of the old Wurza list, but I think that I would prefer to have Saga. I think that it does more for the format at large. Um, you know, even with Opal, Affinity was kind of dead. Like it, it was. You know, people are like, "Oh, it killed Affinity! It killed Affinity!" Yeah. But we never really saw Affinity. We saw Hardened Who's Scales. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that Saga actually does more to uplift all of these fringe strategies, and I would rather see them, you know, playable than me get to replay with OG Wurza, because I think that there is still a good Wurza build out there, and I think that as we continue to get new tools, it'll just, you know, it'll find its place again. Cool. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alrighty, so I think... As we get out of here for this exciting return of the uh, Lord High Artificer of our podcast, it's time to say goodbye with a little bit of bumps and dumps, baby! Uh, Ryan, you were away for uh, several weeks, so why don't you hop in here? Uh, I'm going to say a big bumps to um, fruit 
uh, it's yeah. almost stone fruit season. My trees are, uh, the fruit on my trees are starting to ripen. Um, a big bumps to traveling and being able to see family. It had been, you know, two years since I got to see some of my family. Uh, so it was nice to return back and see them and do so safely. Uh, get your vaccines, people. Get your vaccines. Uh, and a big bumps to being back and getting to podcast with you guys. It was lovely to be in the audience uh, for the last episode. Killer job. <laughs> but, um, you know. <laughs> There's only so much uh, that my wife can handle when it comes to me soapboxing, and um, you know, having this outlet is good. So, yeah, we're we're very happy to have you back, Brian. Last week was definitely fun, but you know, your presence your presence is sorely missed. You definitely you bring you bring something unique to this podcast. We definitely appreciate oh, having having you back on. Thank you, thank you. Well, uh, no dumps for me this week. Woo! All right, I'm I'm gonna steal steal the soapbox right now. Actually, I'm not even gonna use a soapbox. I'm just going to give bumps to uh, also stone fruits, uh, just fruits in general. I love them. You know, nectarines, holy shit, my favorite fruit by far. Actually, not by far. Am All I, fruits am are, I many company, fruits are very honeydew delicious. Honeydew lovers? Mm, a I good mean, it's, honeydew, yeah. It's good, yeah. Is it your favorite fruit or is no, it just like a fruit I just, you uh, like? No, there, there's been a, 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 a brutal lashback uh, propagated by the writers of BoJack Horseman that... Uh, that uh, honeydew is is a trash fruit, and uh, I I I will not stand for that. I mm. respect so, different so opinions, this... but <clears throat> it's not bad anyway. And the the secret is that essentially all fruits are great fruits as long as they're from like farms and everything. It's when like the the larger industrial farms oftentimes just like their fruits are not as good because they actually have genetic mutations that prevent them from ripening fully to make them easier to transport long distances. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like there's like there's literally just like a genetic mutation that prevents most fruit from ripening, which is pretty sweet. You know, I actually looked into this, uh, or this was uh, thinking about maybe studying this. Didn't wind up, but also always very fascinating stuff. And then also you know a little bit more tangent bumps to Kinnan. Uh, it's nice kind of playing with Kinnan again and just vomiting your hand on the table and just kind of looking down. And you're like, oh, you know, like I actually do have the mana between the Mox Opal in the yard, the Mox Opal in hand, and the drum and the Kinnan and the Emery I have. You know, I can just grab Gigant and put it down on the field this turn. It feels it feels nice, there, baby. Oh yeah, it yeah feels feels good to be back on the Kinnan train. What about you, Zach? You're the last yeah, one. Yeah, well, uh, last yeah, but not so, least. So, uh, yeah, big big fruit lover. It's uh, one of the best ways to uh, hydrate. It's usually lower in sugar than sometimes it tastes like, but it's a nice slow release. So if you're if you're doing some exercise, if you're doing some yard work, whatever it is. Uh, I, I've got a honeydew I've got to cut up. I uh, had a wonderful fruit smoothie this morning. Uh, oh, big bumps to getting peanut butter and or Nutella in your smoothie along with your protein powder and everything else. Uh, if you've never tried it before, it sounds a little weird, but my God, is it delicious. Um, smoothies, big bumps to smoothies. I've been on them for years now. Woo. Uh, my college roommate was like, yo, throw some spinach in the in that bee. And I was like, I that sounds gross. And then you do it and you're like, I don't even taste the spinach. This is amazing. Yep. I ate, I ate <laughs> all of, value. I ate basically all of my servings of vegetables that I needed to do, and I didn't notice. I love this. This is fantastic. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of that. Um, man, um, bumps to the modern, um, all all of the sort of modern conversation shifting away from we we need to ban uh, Urza's saga. Uh, I'm losing I'm losing points on my joke 
where every time there was an Urza saga in play, I would either claim that I was being oppressed or that I was oppressing my opponent. Um, and then the game would play out and there were, you know, sometimes where it was great and sometimes where it was fine and sometimes where it was fun. Um, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a card to compete with on the modern power level without being problematic in my opinion. Um, I agree. And then, yeah, I, yep. I mean, I have dumps still very little in the world. You know what? Bumps to uh, the day after the recording last week and tomorrow after this recording, I'm going to be biking uh, into Toronto, the city where I grew up, the city where many of my best friends and, and all the people I've met through magic uh, in, in real life live. And I was biking and I came around a corner and I could see the city, you know, a couple miles away from me along the lake. And I just, I had the biggest stupid, goofy, childlike grin for like, miles of biking probably got bugs in my teeth did not notice um people looking funny at me coming the other direction on the trail uh i don't care because it was just it was such an incredible feeling um i mean it it really all the time that we you know maybe you could have thought that you lost over the last little while just melted away and um Mm -hmm. the world just 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 uh, uh just just fantastic so uh, big big bumps to very slowly, and in the case of you know Toronto and Canada, very slowly lifting our, our, our restrictions. But this is you know the right way to do it. If you live somewhere where it is going slow, that's okay. You know, take advantage of what you can. Don't push it. Try to be careful because you know there still are at risk people around. Even those who have been vaccinated, maybe some people who can't be vaccinated for one reason or another. Whatever it is. And if you're somewhere where the restrictions have been lifted very quickly, um, that's awesome. Enjoy that. But, you know, when you look at somewhere else where it's going slower, just, you know, whether you think that they're right or wrong, you know, unless you're an expert, just just let it be. Because um, I've had I, I've heard from time to time people commenting on this place or the other place or whatever, like, why aren't they open? We're open. It's like, well, you probably don't know all the things. I don't know all the things. I'm assuming we're opening at a reasonable pace. Feels good to me. So, um you know, I like it. So it's nothing but bumps from me. No dumps. Uh, other than gravel, uh, I, I wiped out on my bike when I transitioned from uh, concrete to gravel. Uh, but no Oof. no injury. It just, just scraped <laughs> up my arm pretty good. And when I got up the next day, I was real sore. Um, mm. And I got sunburned. That it was, I, I got brutally sunburned, fell off my bike, and it was still the best day I've had in like a year. <laughs> oh, and right. I'm, I, I'm going to jump in again. Uh, do gotta gotta get bumps to the vaccine you know we are so lucky that the vaccine works so well uh, also you know kind of stress on this uh every time if you're not vaccinated you should get vaccinated we are very lucky so far that most of the u.s the vaccines available in the u.s are actually resistance to the delta strain uh, so that is incredibly lucky if you are not vaccinated looking at trends from how the delta strain is infecting other countries at this point, if you have not had COVID and if you are not vaccinated, you are going to get the Delta strain. It's a matter of when, not if. Uh, so keep that in mind. You know, just this one's really bad. And, you know, we just really have to hope. We have to hope that we don't get a new mutation that can beat our the vaccines. If that if we get a new vaccine, if we get a new mutation that can beat our vaccines, we are in like so much trouble. It's kind of incomprehensible, honestly. Mm. It'll be back to like March 20. Like March to April, just like 2020, you know, mm-hmm. when the, it'll it'll start all over again, which yeah, is terrible to think yeah. about. 
Well, hopefully not. But and uh, so in, in Canada, I know the way things have rolled out, we've kind of, in a way, gotten a little lucky because apparently some versions of mixing uh, your first and second dose of one vaccine versus another may be uh, seeming to be more resistant to some of the, the Delta strain. But I believe the, the research is not you know totally in-depth on that. Is that anything correct with uh, what you've seen, Jake? But sorry, what did you just uh, ask? Mixing the vaccine doses. So in Canada, it's we've been given the go-ahead nationwide to sort of, uh, if your first vaccine was Pfizer, your second might be Moderna. And not only is it not necessarily a problem, but it may be reasonably effective. Yeah. The, that, the variance because I, you're sort of hitting it from two different angles, which I, I didn't even realize would be something you would be allowed to get. And yeah, it actually I think <laughs> mix and match. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that makes as far as far as my understanding of, of how things work, that makes sense. I am surely not an uh, expert. But, you know, and I don't... is not an expert on this, though. He is a doctor. <laughs> I've oh, also, yeah. I, I've also seen that there's um, some promising other therapies. I don't want to mention anything in particular just because I've seen there's some controversy controversy around it. But um some respectable institutions have been doing some uh, some studies on um, pre-existing drugs that are out of patent uh, timeline, so they're incredibly cheap to produce, and they're well understood and um, well tolerated by the general population that may have uh, actually a prophylactic effect. Um, but again, Sweet. there's some controversy around it, so I'm, I'm going to just be very hopeful uh, without yes. getting too excited. That is kind of all. I think that is, you know, that's my mentality too. Hopeful. Don't try and, and try not to get too excited. Yeah. Yep. Listen to the experts, people. Listen to the experts, which we are not. <laughs> not not about jank brewing and not about vaccines. Oh uh, no, we're expert. I mean, you know, we're expert. Well, we are jank brewing. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm just too humble about it. I don't know, but. Uh. Well, that, that is a lot of stuff that we have covered today. Uh, hopefully a little bit more focused with our head artificer back here with us. So it's uh, been great having you back, Brian. And I'm sure uh, at some point in the future, we'll, uh, we'll, you and I are going to have to work without a rune. So I think we've done every other race. Uh -oh. oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is true. Well, no, well, uh, Silver Gak. Oh, maybe that was true. That's right. Oh, no, we've, so we've covered all three switches huh? now. All right, well, <laughs> hopefully you never have to deal Good. with an episode with none of us on, dear listener. Um. <laughs> well, I hope you can do without my dog. That That is one co-host that I don't know if you can oh, hear we her can in hear. the background, but she's been extra loud yeah, yeah. this week. No so problem. maybe uh, maybe we can kick her off for the next episode. You know, we, we, all, we all try our hardest, even our dogs. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. uh, I've All got right. some editing to do. I've got some streaming to do, and I've got some new decks to try out. I am so excited, and uh, I can't wait to talk to you again about this in about uh, two weeks. We can have some adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Sounds good. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg. Email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or at serumvisions.podbean.com.